All of my 
this moment for all my life. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. Oh The shades of night were falling fast as through an alpine village passed a youth who bore mid snow and ice a banner with a strange device. Excelsior, his brow was sad, his eye beneath flashed like a falchion from its sheath, and like a silver clarion rung the accents of that unknown tongue. Excelsior. In happy homes he saw the light of household fires gleam warm and bright. Above the spectral glaciers shone, and from his lips escaped a groan. Excelsior. Try not the pass, the old man said. Dark lowers the tempest overhead. The roaring torrent is deep and wild and wide and loud that clarion voice replied excelsior oh stay the maiden said and rest thy weary head upon this breast a tear stood in his bright blue eye but still he answered with a sigh excelsior Beware the pine tree's withered branch. Beware the awful avalanche. This was the peasant's last good night. A voice replied far up the height. Excelsior, at break of day, as heaven ward, the pious monks of St. Bernard uttered the oft-repeated prayer. A voice cried through the startled air, Excelsior. A traveler by the faithful hound, half buried in the snow, was found, still grasping in his hand of ice that banner with the strange device. Excelsior, there in the twilight, cold and gray, lifeless but beautiful, he lay. And from the sky, serene and far, a voice fell like a falling star. Excelsior. That was a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He wrote that in uh, 1842. What he considered to be doomed idealism. Now, all of you know that uh, uh, there are many cities, cities, cities and countries, cities and countries, in countries, let me get myself comfortable here, that have now decided to take a strong stance. And it was uh, just a couple weeks ago that I was in New York with my attorney visiting another attorney, and we were going through the tunnel. And I said, look at that symbolism right there. 
And he asked, what is that? Hey, that's the emblem of New York City. You know, when it was chosen as the arms of the city, this is when the poem, poem was written. He saw it as something gloomy, something that uh, talked about how wrong things seem. So let me show you what they tell you those symbols actually mean. It's quite fascinating. Take a listen. Six, France gave the U.S. a gift to symbolize friendship and independence. Officially named Liberty Enlightening the World, we call it the Statue of Liberty. And she proudly stands at the entrance to New York Harbor. The concept of liberty is an important symbol for New York. The flag of New York comes from the state seal, and it features both liberty and justice. The Roman goddess, Liberty, holds a staff with a cap on it. Known as a liberty cap, it symbolizes freedom from slavery. The discarded crown at Liberty's feet represents another type of freedom, America's independence from England. The goddess, Justice, is blindfolded to show that justice is blind to race, religion, and income. Scales represent equality for all, while the raised sword points out the willingness to fight for it. In the middle of the flag, you see the Hudson River, and on the Hudson River are two boats meant to represent commerce. Atop the state seal is an eagle sitting on the globe. The globe shows the Western Hemisphere, and that was meant to represent the New World and New York's important place as a port city in the development of the New World. Finally, the word Excelsior encourages New Yorkers to reach ever higher to achieve their goals. Maybe that's why New York City has so many skyscrapers. Just about everyone knows Manhattan, New York, is called the Big Apple. But did you know that Manhattan, Kansas has a similar nickname? It's called the Little Apple. With Flag Facts, I'm Eric. Want news you can use? Hmm, that's very interesting. Because what people missed was um, how that poem is so rightfully on point now with the news and the developments. Welcome back. New Yorkers now have a new way to show that they have been vaccinated for COVID-19 or tested negative for the virus as well. It's called the Excelsior Pass. It's a smartphone app that acts as a COVID passport so you can attend concerts, sporting events, other events. And beginning this week, it'll be accepted at dozens of arenas throughout New York State. And Shelly Palmer, tech consultant and host of the Strategy Hacker Livestream, joins us now with all the details. Shelly, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Now, we just want to talk quick logistics of this because we've already had over 8 million New Yorkers become vaccinated before this was introduced. How are you onboarding all those people onto an app like this? Actually, the app is quite simple once you find it. You have to be able to spell the word Excelsior. Good luck. <laughs> Once you find it in the app store. No, I'm serious because it's it, it doesn't show up as well unless you spell it correctly. Wow. Then you have to you download it either to your iPhone or your Android phone. I've done that and it's very simple. Once you download it, it's actually called NYS Wallet. It's you can forget the word Excelsior. You put in your first name, your last name as you gave it to the medical professional who either vaccinated you or tested you, your date of birth. And it'll ask you a question about when the test was done. If you're in the New York State database, mm. you can then either put the confirmation in your wallet, on your phone, or if you don't have a smartphone, you can print it out. I printed out my own version of it just to see. 
So this works for either a COVID test or if you've been vaccinated. If you've been vaccinated, the passport itself expires every 30 days. You have to go and renew it. Mm. And the test result is good for 72 hours. Then it is no longer in your wallet and you can no longer sign up for it. So if it's been longer than 72 hours since you've been tested, those test results are no longer considered valid. Other than that, this pass will get you in to almost... um, any arena, well, actually quickly in any way through businesses that download the app. And you'll see it's really simple. You can actually get a smartphone app if you're a business. You shoot this barcode with your phone and you get either a green check or a red X. The green check for yes, been tested, yes, been vaccinated, and the red X for no. What you do with that information is up to you. Well, what about other states is is any other state tackling this just yet and could you envision a scenario where there's sort of a patchwork of apps new york has one thing you know mm-hmm. tennessee has something else jersey has something else i mean will there be kind of uh, accessibility all across the 50 states you would hope so but there are more than one way to do this apple and google have a methodology ibm has a blockchain dedicated to it new york state has chosen to work um, by themselves with the bigger corporations, Apple, Google, and IBM, to use and create a technology. Will the other states do that? Right now, there's a big question. What is a vaccine passport? What should it be used for? What should it be incorporated in? I am hoping, and I don't have any good information about this, that what you said will happen, that all the states work together. Right now, the states are all on their own. There isn't a federal plan to do this. There's nothing coming from the federal government, but that's right now. Give it a couple of days. I think once we see this start to work and people getting in and out of events and in and out of restaurants and arenas and buildings with elevators, I, I think people are going to realize this is not a bad thing to have and it'll start to unify. It has to in order for it to be effective. Good information. Shelly Palmer. Shelly, thank you so much. For- and elevators, places that have elevators. I hope you said them correctly. Um, so I have a guest with me. Maybe we can talk about all these insane mandates. And I was just um, demonstrating the Excelsior Pass, Patrick, uh, to my audience so they can understand the origins of this um, uh, New York wallet, which is coupled with the New York cryptocurrency. So states are now deploying their own cryptocurrency for their uh, you know, benefits, which is going to be tied into these COVID passports. So welcome to the show, Patrick. Tori, great to be on your show with your, your wonderful listeners again. You know, I'm a big admirer and thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, yesterday I had a bit of a problem with WeChat. Um, uh, WeChat, I have to now route it through a different way. has to go through a few servers before uh, a volunteer can actually stream it on there. Um, Why? They were Have very, they deplatformed you? Well, yeah, WeChat. Well, not my personal WeChat account, right? But mm-hmm. they deplatformed the stream to, you know, the show account. And so, you know, China's been cracking down really hard on that stuff. So now uh, people every day in China, in my Chinese group, which now has... Guess what? A magic number, 888,888888. Eight, 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 eight. So six digits of eight. Come on. Um, Come on. Yeah. yeah. You know, in Chinese, that's super lucky. I know. Stuff. That's what they said. And they're like, maybe we shouldn't get more people. You have uh, in China so- 888,000 people? Yes. And they are all taking turns now to stream the Tory Says Show um, amongst themselves. May I speak to them for a moment? 
Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, sure. I mean, I can't see them because someone's but, streaming. It. Yeah, go ahead. But they're listening. Okay. Yeah, they are. If I put turn on my video, can they see me? Um, yeah, they're streaming my stream. Yes. Well, okay then. 老朋友们，我们是叫百里百里先生。我是很久很久以前那个北京师范大学的学生，学生中国古代历史和哲学。我特别，我住在中国的时候，留给我深刻的印象。我特别欢迎你们来到听我的好朋友，Tori says. I just gave you a great, a great advertisement in uh in Mandarin, Tori. So you can, you can. I'll ask Phoebe to interpret that for me, you know, because she's the one studying Chinese. Okay. Um, and, and they're probably gonna text me back um on the IRC network anyway and tell me what you said. I'd love so, it. Yeah. So uh, that's quite interesting because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, when you stream to WeChat and you have like a bucket account, uh, anything under a million is usually never detected. But so I was actually quite shocked uh, that they knocked it offline. I guess it's because I'm doing those side shows where we're talking about Taiwan and the politics behind it and um, how that would do it. That would do it. Yeah. Yeah. Would do it. Well, they're very. See, the people there in China are extremely concerned as to, you know, where we are as a nation, uh, because they all want to come to America and get freedom. But now none of them are being trusted, which is one thing. And then the other uh, point is that they're like, we are where they were in the 80s. Uh, before they took a turn for the worst, which, which is was, where I lived when I lived there. I lived there 83, 84. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. You know, I really, I want to do a speech. Now that I know that you, some people have been asking me to prepare a speech in Chinese and speak it, and they can get it delivered broadcast across China through satellites or something. I think I'm preparing a nice 15 or 20 minute speech to them, a, a speech of peace and extending an olive branch and trying to say, say some good things. Uh, maybe, maybe that done. When I get around to that in the next few weeks, I'll, I'll come and, uh, Share it with you. Share it through your channel. You know, I, I feel, I feel, I feel quite. I, I feel that they're quite discouraged. Um, you know, yesterday at some point, uh, I I spent thirty minutes with them, uh, where uh, you know they were kind of discussing their concerns in respects to the policies that are happening uh, in Africa with uh, Chinese companies. Right. What's happening? Um, well, the fact that they're constantly recruiting people to go over to Africa a lot. And so they remembered my show where we were talking, where I was talking about Equatorial Guinea um, and how I was pointing out how interesting some things were. And then uh, they said, wow, just found out that, you know, we're actually building a military base where you said there was a military base being built, which is crazy. So they wanted to know, you know, um, you know, how do they how they say that they can't stop it because the CCP is in charge. It's not like you could tell the government what to do. And any lawyer that, you know, says that they don't want to go do that job because they're taking them out of universities to go build things and do things that they can't refuse it. They actually have to either get hurt or have their um, family, like their new wife, if they're young, have a baby so that that way they don't go. Mm. So 
it's, it's a really bizarre mix because my listeners there are between the ages of, you know, 21 where they're still in like college, high school, whatever you call it, uh, to 27. So they're that group that's kind of entering the workforce. At that time. So they're looking at us saying like, what the hell are you guys doing in America? Like, you're supposed to help and you guys are just rolling out red carpet to just be like the CCP. No, we're not. No, we're not. The government is, but we're going to, we are, we are responding. The American people are responding. The institutions are responding. The people are responding, but a little slow, a little slow off the ball. Brett Kavanaugh, I'm very happy about this thing he did today. The fact that he asked the Biden regime for their answers by next Thursday tells me they are a pissed off Supreme Court and you watch, they're not going to screw around. They're going to slap this bitch down. I love it. It's going to be, I'm very confident about what happens. This is a big signal. They brought in. No, I I agree. I agree. And everyone's fighting, filing in the Supreme Court, right? Where they're, you know, uh, filing about uh, OSHA and it's an emergency application for a stay of the agency, uh, you know, uh, pending the disposition of petition review and judgment. So everyone's filing it. I'm actually filing it for, for, for on behalf of my company with OSHA. Right? Good for you. Uh, to actually make an argument because I'm part of that big pool. We were all sequestered together. So uh, good for you. And thank, and your viewers who did this open source lawfare, which filled the federal judiciary with these very good, well-researched cases. Good for you folks. Good for you. You've put, so much pressure on the Supreme Court. You know, the federal judiciary has never seen anything like the pressure that the Tory says community brought on it through these dozens of how many how many cases do you get you did you get filed at the federal level? I know you did fifteen. Federal, it's, it's about a hundred. I wanted to tell you something. You know what else we did? We broke the government accountability office, the GAO. So let me tell you something super funny, okay? So last week. I was showing people how they can actually complain, you know, after shift again, doctored texts, right? I'm like, you know, right. I'm so tired of this. I'm going to file a complaint. Well, rather than do it the way I usually do, <clears throat> I did it live and I showed them where I went. See, it's not only about the GAO is not only about fraud, waste and abuse. It's about everything. Right. And so I filed a complaint about Eric Swalwell. Right. And how he doctored evidence and the impeachment and, and you know, that. how that's wrong. And then again, I filed about Schiff, you know, referring back to what he did during the impeachment, how he was lying about what the president said with President Zelensky of Ukraine and how he doctored text messages. You know, this is the, the you know, this is actually um, USC 1519 if I'm, or 1518, if I remember off the top of my head which is misrepresentation, obstruction of justice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I also filed one against Pelosi. So I actually shared that on my group and I was like, hey, if you guys feel the same way, you should go and do it. I kid you not, the next day, the GAO called me not once, but twice. They called me on the phone because I had filed it confidential, but gave my information. I mean, I have no problem putting my name on shit when I'm going to complain, right? And they called me back, Patrick. She was like, well, how many complaints did you file? Because apparently they had gotten thousands upon thousands. And over the weekend, people were filing even more. You know, we were talking about how I showed that Blumenthal was at the communist 102nd Communist Party event, handing out Senate reward, reward certificates to the commies. 
Right. And he was all proud that he was there. And so everyone started to file that he broke the law. He was like appeasing the Communist Party, telling them how well they're working and handing out Senate, you know, award certificates to communists. What to a spineless guy, because, you know, now he comes out and says, well, I didn't know that it was communist. That's such a I lie, mean, because the lady right before him said this is the 102nd Communist Party thing. Like we watched it all. Yeah, I know. It's I mean, a gutless guy, but it's bad enough to do something like that. But then when you're called on it to not even stand by it and say, well, look, I'm open mind or whatever and be a weasel about it is even triply weasel well you know it just stood to confirm to my listener base because i've been writing about the the unions and the communist party for a long time because all the damn unions were there they're all mm. part of the communist party and i was like work was it was the world something council yeah well, listen. No, it, was the, it was the communist party of america it was their 102nd anniversary yeah, I know they. Okay. So, so anyway, listen, they complained about that, and then guess what? The system what? fell. Oh, the system they fell. The whole yeah, they broke the GAO. It was not taking any complaints. You have so a special asset here in your base that you can direct this fire hose of energy is like nothing I've ever seen in the world, Tori, and it's very special. And you directed it at the federal court system, and you filled it up. And now the Supreme Court is hopping too. And I don't know when, how many times your listeners have been in the position to make Supreme Court justices do what they want. But it is really through the, the crowdsource effort of thousands, tens of thousands of your listeners that this is happening. I don't think that politics has ever seen. I recognize the genius of Tory world. I don't think there's ever been anything like this. And we I think so. so yeah, we, we've got more coming down pipeline. We have, I don't have... You got Flynn, you got humble me. I don't bring much to the equation, but what we don't have is mass. You know, we've got, I'm a, uh, you got Flynn, whatever he is. He's the spy master. I'm like the Jedi Knight. But remember there was some Star Wars movie where the Jedi says the, you know, the Jedi were meant to keep the peace, not to fight a war. We don't have the mass to, to, to fight this. You bring mass and you can direct it like I've never seen in politics. It's really, and globally. It's really astounding, and I love you're getting you're getting uh, people are rising out of your community into the the electoral process, right? Aren't you, don't you have people running for yes, school boards? Yes, and Congress I have school board um, in Texas. A lot of people running for Congress. Uh, we have people running for office everywhere. And the thing is, we don't need endorsements. The people are the endorsement. I was like, hey, if you want to like do it the way that our guy in New Jersey did it, don't take donations. Just have them buy you a billboard. Or you know, purchase fifty T-shirts with your name on it and distribute it. Because is that we'll, how it worked? How, tell me how you did it in New Jersey. Well, well okay. So all of us are doing that. You how don't do need, you do it? Well, if so, we like the person, we're behind yes. them, and that's what we do. So the if guy in New Jersey, need, tell me how he did it. Tell me, like, so you say he doesn't need a bunch of money because people in New Jersey. Who are also we're just spreading the word. Yeah. His friends were knocking, you know, people that supported his message were knocking and, and that's how you do it. If you're spending money or if you're getting money to be driven around, you're no better than the rest of them. Yeah. You're, you're not. not smart. Yeah. yeah. I you're love you're not from the people feeding into the RNC fucking system, you know, where they're just, it's like, it's the biggest scheme ever. And what they hated about Trump was that he was destroying that. The only reason he ran with the Republican Party is because what he was running on was exactly that. He can't stand the Republican Party. Nobody can. Nobody it, can. We have, yeah. We shouldn't have any party system. We need appropriate <laughs> representation. Well, we need to take over the Republican Party. There's, no, we there's don't a, need 
there's a theory in political science, the idea that you can have, you can have N plus, anyway, you, you, there's no way to get at it with a third party. There's these internal dynamics that make Correct. it never, so you got to so you take over the Republican from within. The Democrats are non-starter, obviously. No, no, no. We've all decided, I think the, oh, oh, the whole Tory says world, right? Yeah. We're going to dismantle the DNC and the RNC. We don't need that shit anymore. And the way you do it is by winning without doing anything. Like I was actually thinking of throwing my hat in the race to run for governor in freaking Ohio. I'd I would win in a heartbeat. I would beat him in a heartbeat. They wouldn't in even a need, a, need an election. I'd be like, I, the, the party suck. They just take your money and they tell you what to do. We don't need anyone to tell us what to do. We don't need a leader. We don't need endorsements. We endorse each other. If the person is running on what you want to do and is listening to you and not ignoring you and is one of you, then you know that you will be heard. Back in the day, we used to, we knew in the 1900s that we'll be heard because we'd walk down to the county like, dude, that you're not putting a road in my backyard, period. End of story. And you go down there and you'd stir it up and it would happen. Now you can't even get in the front door. They have like a million gatekeepers just yeah. for your city council. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you how it works. I've, so, you know, I used to go through a period what happened? Did you just drop off, Patrick? I think you dropped off. Did Patrick drop off? Okay, you're back. Okay. You're back. Okay. Yeah, you dropped off. Okay, there Sorry. you go. Sorry. I used to interact 15 years ago. I was in Congress and Senate a lot. Let me tell you, you go and you have a meeting with one of them. Sometimes it's made clear beforehand that like this hour is going to cost you 10 grand, except they're not that crude. Uh, and sometimes it's just afterwards. And how you get told is you say, look, this senator had a wonderful hour with you. Uh, uh, he has a brother-in-law who's having a golf fundraiser down in uh, Poughkeepsie, over in Poughkeepsie next week. He sure would be obliged if, you know, you could donate 10000 you know, or it's a minimum entry of 10000 He sure would be obliged if you could uh, help his brother-in-law out or something like that. I mean, it gets said, but it doesn't get said. It doesn't get uttered, but it's said. And it's basically about 10,000 bucks you're going to come up with for every hour you expect to get from a senator. And of course, to Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, that's pocket lit. But it adds up, believe me. Yeah, no, no, I know. I, I agree. And then the thing is, look, picture this. I actually was mulling the idea. And my, and my eldest was like, don't do it. Like, I can't. She was just telling me, I just can't. And Phoebe was like, do it, do it. So I've got, you know, family has to, uh, you know, um, agree. But I was thinking, dude, if I get in there, I'm going to tell them I'm going to destroy everything they've done. I'll have executive power to just destroy. I'll just cut off the three million that we're spending on stupid diversity and inclusion. I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix the welfare system, tear down things. I'm going to be like, that's what we're doing. We're tearing all this stuff. I'll be like, I'm sorry, you're a commie. You're fired. That's exactly how I will respond. You need, you need to get, I love you that you're getting people out in grassroots and running well, for that's Congress. What they have to do. And the thing is, I'm encouraging yeah. them. I should be able to do it too. Right. And I'm, I'm actually seriously considering it. I know well, the deadline I'd love it. Uh, hey, I, the only thing people would do the own knocking for them and I would be out in East Cleveland. Remember that's where I did the ballot watching. I was out in the, in the super ghetto where you like walk outside and there's people getting shot every time. That's where I went ballot watching in 2020. Early. And I could tell you, like I was actually thinking of doing it just to clean the place up and leave and open the door for the next. Like I would totally clean that place up and annihilate it. And I'd be probably the only governor that would be doing a podcast talking about things too. Um, but 
the 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 point is uh, people need to start taking more control patrick and uh, you know what i love yeah. about it is that now that they realize they don't need anyone's endorsement they don't really give a shit who likes them or not they're just doing things for their own benefit right my family's benefit how do they benefit by not being superimposed this you know being taxed to death i mean have you seen the prices of food like it's insane well, that's tax and inflation. That's inflation oh my too. Gosh, it's, it's just beginning. Inflation is going to go to 20 or 30%. Oh my God. It's like, how are people going to survive? And now with all these mandates that they're pushing out, I mean, how would they, did you see what Beetlejuice in, in, in Illinois, the governor, the, the mayor, I mean, of Chicago, Beetlejuice, she came out and said, you better go get vaccinated if you want to go do stuff. If you want liberty, you better go do it. Yeah. And it's like, well, we, we got the Supreme Court. We got a third branch of government, and they have finally are showing up for the fight next Thursday. And I feel really quite good. I feel quite good about them. I think they're going to start getting quite involved. They've been – I take a lot – I read a lot into how Brett Kavanaugh did this today. I think they're wow. going to get so involved. This is all wildly illegal. They're unconstitutional. You know, there is no – even the Jacobson. So there is no federal power to authorize a national – vaccine there's no it's not in the constitution one it could argue the states are doing it one could argue okay that the states have the power by vis-a-vis -vis jacobson which is this 1905 case where right. Mass massachusetts in the context of smallpox with a 30 percent fatality uh mandated a vaccine of which had been around 110 years and it offered people a five dollar you could pay and exit the vaccine and in that context, the Supreme Court held up, upheld Jacobson, that, they, that Massachusetts has the right to do that. Well, now, though, I mean, I think that people are misreading Jacobson. I think that we can challenge at the state level now with, uh, you know, because this is not 30% fatality, it's 0.1% fatality. It's a, it's a new technology, not 110 years old, and there's no way to pay five bucks and get out. So I think that there's going to be an opportunity to revisit the state mandates too. Although I was disappointed that the Supreme Court, didn't they, they sort of gave a pass to the New York one? Well, okay. So in New York on January 5th, yeah. they've got bills that are being, you know, put up in the legislative station, a session that is insane. One bill is to eliminate parental consent to shots when a child reaches 14. Another bill is to eliminate the parents' right to consent to STD shots for any children of any age, which is so weird. What's like an STD why, shot? For sexually transmitted disease shots for children of any age. And then uh, it allows the governor to imprison without trial anyone that they consider a threat to public health. And then there's Does that include bill. a podcaster who questions their narrative on COVID? Can they? Of course it would be. Of course uh, it would be. And then they've also introduced a bill to eliminate unvaccinated people's access to health insurance within the state. And not only that, yeah. eliminating religious exemption, forced flu shots to attend school and preschool and daycare, forced COVID shots for college, forced all adult vaccine records into state databases, and forced COVID shot mandates to attend school like this this is this is excelsior this <laughs> is insane this is this is how you know the 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 constitution is supposed to be our protection against tyranny and for some reason i guess we always conceived of that as some exterior force or britain coming back i don't know they're among us they're among us the tyrant mm -hmm. the times are among us those who hate liberty and wish for tyranny are among us and our guards are down 
they kicked us in the balls last November 30th. We dropped our hands and they have, they are getting all the ground they can. But listen, we're, we're there. We're at the point of pushback. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to tolerate any of this. I, I think that, I think that we're within one week of uh, high watermark on woke. We're one week away from high watermark on woke and then it all starts breaking. I really do. With the Supreme Court doing this, we're there. You're, you're, you guys, oh, can I tell you? So there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's about three or four journalists I'm talking to. And one, at least one seems re- good and has been honest so far. And there's three that I'm giving a chance to. And let's see if they're honest. But it's kind of funny. In the last week, and I've been talking to them for some months and bringing them along. And something happened about three weeks ago where, well, really what happened was somebody, the Washington Post doing a story on getting to the bottom of Sidney Powell, you get there and there's Patrick Byrne. Then someone else doing a story about, there's another major publication is doing a story about the origins of January 6th. And it turns out when they dig into that, what do they find? They find it's a cool base of it, Patrick Byrne. And then somebody else doing something on the whole election integrity movement, a very major publication called, and they're looking into the whole election integrity movement there. What do you find at the bottom? It's me. So they all, and then, but what I did and I, was I introduced them to you. I've introduced them to Tory World. And it's kind of funny. There are journalists in the last week who've become aware and are starting to crap their pants about you. Pardon me for being Irish. But they, uh, when I've explained to them the power of you and your world and what it is your people did and the 50 Supreme Court decision uh, filings and the 100 or whatever federal court filings and so on and so forth, that there's never been anything like this. It's kind of funny. They, these, these three or four journalists have been calling me three or four times a day each for weeks. Since they got introduced to you, it's like I, my, my image in mind has been something like the Bugs Bunny script where he's playing with a bull and he's got the red cape and the bull comes charging out of him and the last minute he pulls the cape aside and there's like an anvil there that the bull runs into. That's what's gone on. These journalists have all been charging at me, charging at me. And in the last second, I whipped Tori, Tori says in front of them. And so now they're wrestling with what you are and what your movement is. And I can tell they've all just, they've, they've, they're, they're, they're getting shrinkage factor. If you know what I'm talking about, they're just really getting, they don't know how to deal with it. They've, they, they're, uh, they can't just come at, you have a much bigger voice than they do. And they're realizing that they have global reach and suddenly it's like the bull charging Bugs Bunny and he runs into an anvil planted to the ground. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I think that what they don't understand is what a lot of people in leadership don't understand either. And that's in, in a society where for the past century they've been groomed to look up to leaders and follow the stars, right? Uh, either that be, you know, singers and, and, and dancers and actors and politicians and people that say all the right things, right? It is very odd that there would be a movement of people that say, you know what, I, I don't need your approval. I'm just as capable of being a leader as you are. And, right. uh, you know, I think that, you know, they didn't realize that over four years, that's exactly what I've been doing. The one thing that I've been saying from day one being on air is we have three branches of government, right? Unlike Ocasio-Cortez, a lot of people know we have the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. We can definitely deal with a corrupt executive branch. We can also deal with a corrupt legislative branch. 
But if we have a corrupt judicial branch, that's a problem. Now, while everyone is tooting, oh, look, we have over 23 people that are not seeking re-election in Congress, we're taking our eyes off the fucking Senate. And the whole thing here now with SCOTUSgate that's going to kick off in February, because they're going to drag this on. They do not want us voting. They don't want us coming in. And this is why I think that we need to disrupt uh, the system by actually throwing our hats into the race and actually running, right? I tell everyone in my group, you've got a thousand people in your group. You've got 900 people in your county group. Run. Each and every one of them will knock on a door for you. Run. Each and every one of them will fund a banner for you, will print out, you know, a hundred cards on Zazzle for you because they want you to take office so you can remove whoever is there. Run. Why? Because they're going to drag this out because they are hoping that they take the Senate. And I tell you what, the majority of the Senate seats that are up for grab right now are a pack of rhinos and people are not going to be, oh, there you went again. I'm, I'm back. No, you're right. I caught all but 10 words. Many hands make light work. You're yes. right. You have something that political organizers would die for, and it's global. You have, you know, when you have, if you have somebody in New Jersey who wants to run, and he can count on a few dozen or a couple hundred people to help, and all they've got to do is one little thing each, give them one evening each, going around, that's a huge advantage over any political candidate who's just a normal guy starting up and, and, you know, raising money and, and trying to do work the machine. That's your, your, your world has such an advantage over them. Well, no, but they're going to destroy the system. I mean, we've got 10 people in Texas running right now. Uh, three of them are running for house seats. One is in uh, the 17th district. We've got Jake Armstrong running. We've got a ton of people running and they're going to win. Because are they for house or for or national? House, level? house, house on a national level. Oh wow, house yeah. on a national. Yeah, Do you know yeah, Bianca, Bianca Gracia from El Paso area. No, I don't. She's I behind don't. Latinos for America, and she's terrific, terrific. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't, I don't know her, oh. but I can tell you, I know my people. And oh, is she not in your world? I thought she was kind of in your world. She's kind of your well, type of person. She's on my periphery, but I, I'm, I'm with the people. No different. Oh. And, and 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 the thing is, they're going to start moving. I mean, uh, you know, New York. I was having a chit chat with Millie, and we need to do something in New York before January fifth. So, uh, you know, we were kind of like mulling around this, you know, how we're going to get it done. But I've been just struggling with other things. I was sick, you know. My what do you want to do? Tell us what you're going to do for New York. How do we save New York by? Well, I don't want to. We're gonna we're gonna save New York. Let's just say we're gonna do something pretty good. So um, we're looking to um, to get it done. We're looking to get it done. I don't want to say anything, um, you know, out in the open. But one thing is, is that people need to start running, like actually running, because the people in their state groups will support them. Uh, they don't need anybody. Like if I ran for governor, I'd be like, don't give me any money. Uh, you have a restaurant. Let me come and speak to people there. Let me have an event there. Uh, you you have an extra $100. Go on Zazzle and buy Tory postcards and tell them in five bullet points why they need to vote for me and just hand it out to your neighborhood. This is how you win. But see, the problem is, is that candidates within the GOP and the DNC, right, uh, they have to contribute money to the party in order to be accepted. And then even if they contribute the money, it's not guaranteed that they will run them for the seat. It's a hoax. It's like it's, it's disgusting. They're all running to see who can make them more money. It's not about representation. And so we're going to tip it on its head. This is why it's more expensive to file as an independent. 
which means no party whatsoever. I'm on my own. So, um, it'll be, it's more expensive to file. I think someone had to pay like $3,600 to file in Texas because they didn't go. Boy, that's hard to win without coming through the party system. Oh no, it's not. It's not because if you're on the, if you're everywhere. Did your guy in New Jersey come through the party system? Was he independent or did he come through the party? I I think he was independent or he actually went through the party system. Who knows? The, The bottom line is, he got it done with $100 to his campaign. That's great. That's right. amazing. But he, right. I wonder so, if he did it as a Republican. I think he did it as a Republican. He could have. He could have. And he was the only one on the ballot and people just voted for him. But the bottom line is we have people like in Maryland, we have everyone running independent. Their governor guy, the guy who's running for governor, Sefik, uh, I want to have him on. He's an MMA fighter. He hates both parties. He knows it's a corrupt system. All you do is give money and money. And he could win. He's just a guy that's a small business owner that wants to fix things. Since you brought it up, can I tell you something? Yeah. Just so you know, Maryland and Delaware are corrupt as hell. I'm not just talking about the corrupt. I'm talking about the sheriffs, the drowning. They are basically pure corrupt states. I mean, remember the emails where Hunter was smoking crack with the governor, or was it the mayor, the governor of Maryland? Yeah, Marion Barry. Yeah, so we have Dr. Greedy running in Maryland too, right? They're all running, and it's just people. And the thing is, they're going to win because people want them to win. You don't need the GOP. You don't need the DNC. And I think, you know, I know it sounds really, you know, uh, it's it's a bit. It sounds like a big task, but it really isn't because it, you know. In Ohio, there's like, what, a thousand people in the group? So if all those thousands of people from around Ohio, uh, somebody else ran for Senate or somebody else ran for something else and we all supported each other, it's game over. Like they're actually going to go door knocking and say, this is the person you want to vote for. They don't do party stuff. They want people to have freedom. They believe that everyone should be treated equal, which is fact. And all you have to spit out is truth. And, and, and then when there's debates, you can smash them and say, hey, you like the only reason you're here is because you're the one that raised more money for whatever party you have. I didn't have to do that. You're a sucker out the gate. So please stop talking. Well, I hope like, so. I hope you're right. But let me tell you, there's a political science theorem of some reliability that you can only have N plus one parties and or N is the uh, the number of seats or something. It's that you can't really can't mount viable third party challenges in the U.S. Is the it, it's it, there's this real dynamic within political. Science. I hope you turn out to be right. It, you may break the bank. You may break the system. But there's- well, we already did. We already did because the people are, uh, you know, in coordinated lawfare. They're using the same tools that these losers use against the people, right? And they have done it because they know that they can. And now it's time, uh, since they're going to be playing this game, you know, with the court systems and doing stupid shit like the circuit court on a Friday after business closed so nobody can file anything, right, until Monday, they decide to, like, remove the stay, right? That was so, I mean, I'm just saying from a perspective, a judicial perspective, that was a low blow. That was very bad because they didn't do it in the morning, right? They didn't do it on a Thursday. They did it on a Friday after business closed. So no one could do anything. So that way, so, so no one could do anything. So that way on the weekend, we have all these people panicking and saying, shit, I got to go take the jab or else I lose my job. That was a low blow. So if the judicial system is going to be playing dirty, uh, you know, they're going to drag it out. That's the way it is. I mean, that's what the timelines. I mean, I'm from Venus, so I know this stuff. <laughs> that's what I like to say. Women are from Venus, right? 
Uh, Patrick, did I lose you again? Let me just see. Did I lose you again, Patrick? I'm here. Okay, there you are. You're on that one. Uh, no, I've okay. heard you. I've heard you. I, uh, you know, just looking at a picture of Mount Rushmore, thinking how between on the far right, is it uh, Lincoln and FDR? There's a, just a space there that you with your owlish glasses could look at when you're done saving our country and by extension the world. But I think- yeah, Maybe I, I could go uh, into that secret room they have in there too. You know about that one, right? No, is that where they keep the national treasure and Nicolas Cage or something? Well, no, they don't. But there is actually a secret room in there right. in Mount Rushmore. There's an actual secret room. I, I, I think maybe that could have been released already in the foyers. I mean, it's common knowledge and no, and everybody- What's in the secret room? The uh, There's nothing in there. It's just a secret room. Yeah. Uh, so um, the one thing is uh, the funny story- Okay, you remember when President Trump was at Mount Rushmore? Yes. So Hune, who's now saying that he's not running again, he was actually there, right? And so a really good friend of mine that's a reporter, I was talking to him on the phone, and he was like, he ran into Tori Says listeners, right? Because <laughs> my my listeners know who my actual friends are, like Emerald, Chrisberg, you know, they know, right? So they'll be like, hey, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I listened to Tori and I know you guys, blah, blah, blah. So they had a conversation. At that moment, he ran into Thune and Thune was like, no, I'm not going to wait for him to come along. I don't even want to be here with the president. Like, oh, like I was just like, what a Who snake. said that? Who said that? Thune. Thune did. Oh, really? Thune, Thune yeah. They're, yeah. They're so disgusting. Like they have no class whatsoever. And I'll tell you what. They hate him. Why? Because he destroyed the structure that they had. Yeah, he, they hate the establishment Republicans. Yeah. Hate. No, hate. he's destroying the structure. Yeah. I mean, do you know that all my listeners that are getting letters from the GOP are sending letters back, you know, for donations, saying, I'm not giving you a penny. I'm going to give it directly to Trump. You know, that or can I put in a little pitch? Just yeah. a, a little pitch. The America Project. If you want, it's if you want the. I don't know how we how we, but join up for the America Project. Send a few shekels. We do things that cost. I mean, we're super cheap. We do things all over the country that you hear about the fruits of. But it's it's it's, and it's fifteen thousand here. It's two hundred fifty thousand there. So just so people know. And by the way, I hear. I know there's someone out there demanding we audit. Yeah, we're gonna audit. We do external audit. I think we do it at the end of January. And I think that's the plan. And just so people know, rough top of thumb, I think about two, $10 million is coming to the America Project. About 2.3 was from the you, the crowd and seven and a half, eight was from me-ish. So let's see what that all looks like at the end of the day. But anyone who's out there saying, oh, Burns out here trying to, you know, and I actually put in four and through deep capture, be, you know, at, once November came and we started fighting from November forward, I was paying for all kinds of things for this whole thing to get going. So I've gone through 12 million bucks this last November and I'm not a billionaire. You people look how much, how much I made. And I actually, I mean, I'll even give you guys numbers because in that, that video, which I know that you showed my Dallas speech recently, you showed on your, on your. Yes. yes. We're doing the full blown because see, every time I tell them that you were, you know, tasked by the deep state to do things. The, and that you, the reason that I have a connection to you is because I actually have seen them. Mm, we want to go really light on anything on yeah, any of that yeah, tour. Really, really, yeah, really know, light. Know, really, really light. Because you don't need to repeat it. But yeah, just whatever I know, said in that video yeah, was all that exactly, ever gets. I, exactly. So the deep state is actually quite deep. 
and they do things that people wouldn't even fathom right? Uh, They wouldn't even believe that they'd be okay to look the other way for someone getting killed, look the other way as long as the mission is done, right? And, and, And that's something that's very hard for people to stomach, that their actual tax dollars are funding shit like this, okay? Yeah. Did you cover the, well, well, yeah, well, I'm sure you, where I'm going is I dropped in that speech that I've gone through 52 million bucks since I was given that task. And if you, about 20 million taken on Wall Street, 12 since last November and in between the two 20 million, I'm not going to go into. So 52 million bucks, you can look up how much I made off overstock. It was about a hundred. And after taxes, it was about 70. So I've gone through 52 out of 70 and I'll be okay. I'll be okay with my 18. I'll be fine. I'm doing, doing so much, but, uh, as long as you don't get a honey pot gold digger next to you, it would be really not. Well, that's not a problem, but it would be really (laughs) nice if I had a little bit of help. I've gone through, oh my, I, listen, I, I regret that I have but one fortune to give for my country, but it would be nice if, if, if we had a little bit of help, 10 bucks here, 15 bucks here, and your participation in the America Project. I think the Tory world, Tory, I call you Tory world. Is that my, I mean, is that, I call this whole thing Tory that's fine, world? fine, because Tory stands the organization regarding everything. Yeah, that's what I mean. This is Tory's world. It's Tory says plus, but I think of this whole thing of you as your whole movement as the Tory, Tory world. I don't know if I made that up, but I think Tory World and the America Project go really well hand in hand because you have the mass. We have we have the the chess player and and advising us and Mike Flynn. We've got the entrepreneur, the IT guys, and me and other people. Yeah, but see, here's the but thing: you have That's mass. We need yeah, to work together. The mass, the, but the mass is the ones that are the the advisors. See, the people are the advisors in, right. in, in the Tory world. The people are the advisors. They don't take orders. And that's the thing. They don't look up to someone to pat them on the back. They, they do their own thing. I love and it. If they're behind it. They go for it. And that's how they do it. I mean, you know, I just I'm not, no, I'm not looking for anybody. We're not anyone's masters. I'm not trying no, to get I a mean, collar around. Job. I know that. I'm I saying it's that. a perfect. I'm, I'm you done. You guys just bring the, you're the heavy artillery. Of, and yeah, you, they are. Yeah. And we, we have something that, uh, that we can't. I know what you guys are. We work for you. I think the, I think of you as the purest expression of the people that I've ever seen. That's why this has caught fire globally. That's why when I tell stiffs and squares about you about that there's this thing with 600 chapters and you've got people in Stuttgart, Germany come into a coffee house once a week to talk about your shows and such. There's never been anything like this that I can think of in history. Yeah, well, that's because it never in, in, in our modern history have people, except for back in 1776, right? Where George Washington was like, you're all soldiers, you're all generals, let's all work together. Has this happened? Because people always yeah. want to like, you know, be in the front with the, with the torch uh, yeah. running, you no, know? No, listen, and I don't, I want to be so on the beach It's so much better when everyone, yeah, yeah it's so I, much I don't better be. when everyone is I'm, like holding the torch because then the light is right. super I'm not doing this for my own glorification or enjoyment. There's a hundred things I'd rather be doing than this. I'll tell (laughs) you what, you've sacrificed more than anyone I've seen. Well, that's kind of you to note. No, 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 it it is. It's very important. I was on a boat in Indonesia when I got the message that I had to come back. And I I resisted as long as I could until, (laughs) until I was told you have to come back. And take oh this gosh. on. So I'm doing. I am terrified of those waters. I don't know how you go there. Oh, I'm a di- I'm a diver. 
Yeah, well, you know, hey, do you know what? As a child, speaking of diving, you know what my favorite thing always to do is? Uh, In Greece and Italy, I would dive and I would get sea urchins and then I would place them on the beach so they could dry and then I would crack them with the pebbles on the beach and just eat them live right there. That's like my favorite thing. And I would collect sea urchin shells from the bottom of the sea, of the Mediterranean Sea. That was like my thing as a kid. Let's go for sushi sometime, for uni. Uh, This was growing up in Greece? Yeah, Greece, Italy. I've done it in Egypt, uh, you know, off the shores of, you know, Libya. I've done it everywhere. Cyprus. I would always dive. And my parents, they would never see my head above the water. I would always be underwater. Free diving always. I can hold my breath quite well, even as a smoker. Um, so, you know, they would always complain. All I see is her butt and her feet, and then she disappears and comes back. Were you and a smoker just, as a child? No, I wasn't a smoker as a child, but I'm saying still now to date, I can still do that. Um, you know, I can hold my breath for a while and I float so I can stay in the water as long as I want. I oh. literally float without even moving. So it's a nice skill. Like, yeah, it is. It is. It's like, what is it? Micro muscular um, movements. Huh. Um, maybe it's because I've been swimming for so I was a, always a swimmer. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, did you see the new DARPA dark document about domestic extremist ideologies? No. Okay. So they released that and I went through it yesterday. What's Let me t- tell, tell me. Oh my gosh. The worst part of it, the worst part of it was a section. Hold on. Let me, let me open it. Let me show it to you on the screen. Cause you're going to freak out when you see this. Okay. It's like the most horrendous thing I have ever seen. See, I know some guys at DARPA. I'm disappointed. Oh my to hear gosh, this. I do too. You know I do because I put you in touch with one of them. Um, but here's here's the weirdest one. So this is talking about extremism and insider threat to the DOD. Now look at this. They're talking about patriotism, right, and perceived injustices. And then they talk about, look at this, core belief of patriot extremism is that this ideology holds that the U.S. government has become corrupt, has overstepped its constitutional boundaries, or is no longer capable of protecting people against foreign threats. I mean, that first sentence is 100% true. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a website, Deep Capture, dedicated to exposing government corruption. Right, but but so, so how is this extremism when it's fact? And then they go on on these grounds, they refuse to accept the government's authority to tax or govern them. Um, kind of, yeah, because you use our tax dollars for like child trafficking and attacking us and taking away our rights, and then you're giving it away to Pakistanis so they can visit the idea of having you know LGBTQ when they throw gays off the roof, which is so weird. And then they say, as they don't believe they are subject to the laws of the U.S., nobody does that. And some elements have formed militias, which is super weird, right? But the weirdest part is that um, they said something alarming, and it was uh, the, the here, um, where is it, govern them. And it says that they can't govern us. And I was like, wait a minute, the government's not supposed to govern us. They're supposed to serve us. Mm. That in itself is a problem. That that's their mentality. By the way, I'm down to like my last sliver of red. If my phone dies, don't take a person. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but can you believe that? They, they say, like, look at the document there. To tax or govern them, like right here, to tax or govern them. Govern them. We're not supposed to be governed. Well. You know, that that in itself is a problem. It's, their, it's a mentality sli- slipping through. 
that right. they are they are inverting the correct relationship. We are the principals, they are the agents. The citizens right. are the principals, government is the agent through which we citizens accomplish. And how do we reach sense about what it is we want to accomplish? There's a whole set of rules on called yeah. the Constitution. So that's that's it. But they are definitely inverting and across the board. Telling parents you don't get to say what your kids are taught, you know, is yep. just one example of them forgetting who's the principal, who's the agent, who's the boss, who's the employee. We are the citizens. It's our country. It's our government. They are there. They are the prince. We are the principals. They are the agent. Just like hiring a real estate agent, and they are totally getting that relationship scrambled in their head. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, you know what's crazy is that look at the symbols that they say. Like, okay, I don't, I don't agree with Proud Boys, Gripers, and all, uh, all these other things because they have feds like Oath Keepers. But I've never seen them, you know, literally go out and fight. Like I've seen them stand in the middle so they can cause aggression because that's what the federal government placed them there to do, right? Didn't it but turn out that the head of the of the of the of the Proud Boys is a is a fed and he led his yeah, board. He is. He yeah, led them all. He I led know. them all into the in, in the capital, right into the in the Fed direction. Hey, that's our new 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 word, the Fed direction. Okay. Yeah, I mean, come on, all of them. You know the guy that we, we we talk about. You know that does stuff that I do, but he's better at it than me, right? Um, right. That right, does computer right. stuff, right? So right, we were talking right. about it, about all this, and it's like, dude, it's the same people. Like they don't even recycle these agents. Like you can spot them out. They're the same people, and it's and it's just insane that people can't see it themselves. It's, no, it's they can't. Everybody, it's it's everybody seeing through it. Listen, my phone's about to die. I love you. Yeah. I love you. I love your people. 800, listen, I mean it, folks. I think of Tory's world every day and the millions of people out there. This is a unique asset and it's a unique movement. Now, there's anything like this. And I recognize the power and I recognize you folks are in charge. I'm hoping that Flynn and I prove to be adequate servants to the to this movement. That you know, I see myself, well, I'm not, I'm I'm just trying to do the right thing, but these are people. We're all lined up on the same North Star, is what I'm trying to tell. We come we out. We should of, all be lined up on the same North. Well, Star. Well, we all are. We're all lined up on the same North Star. Different ones. Where some of us are coming at it different ways, but we're all lined up on the same North Star. And uh, I respect you, folks, tremendously. I really do. I need you, frankly. You complete me. Oh, Tori, well, you complete I, I'm going to see you after the new year anyway. So I'll be down there so we can have like a, a tete and, and have a convo because look, one thing that, that, that we need to do is stop, you know, segregating and focusing on what we can do without. Yeah, we need you. We need you down at the America project. I've already talked. We need you down to come see us and we not need to talk how we're going to, how we're going to, what are, well, we, we want to work. We all, we all need to work together. Well, you know, there's a lot of generals in our in our um, room. No, no, We've no. Got, you know, We're allies. Really We're not anyone's bosses. Yeah. We're just looking for allies. I want to be an ally to Tory World, a good ally. Come help us. Come teach us how we can be a good ally to Tory World. Well, <laughs> I can I can tell you what I would like to see, but um, you know, I'm really still holding out. Hopefully, an AG will grow some cojones. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm still betting that's going to happen. You know, I don't know. I mean, there are some states that allow us to go XREL, and I've got half a million people right now in the in the groups that are itching, and they're like, "Hey, my states allow me allow me to go Attorney General XREL." That means that What's, they can be the Attorney General in place of the Attorney General. How, come on, how can they do that? How do you spell There's this word XREL? XREL, E X R E L. 
So you're doing it on behalf. I know that the state of Tennessee has it and there's other states that have it and people are already discussing it. And we're just like, hold the line. Let's just see, because the people are ready to charge. They I know what I'm researching it. tonight. XRL. Yeah. Hey, we already talked about it with, um, you know, lawyers had conversations. Copy. Good, good, good. And how do they feel? Our mutual friends, how do they feel about well, it? Well, our mutual friends, um, one of them was sick. So we're going to reconvene at some point right after Christmas. So, good, good. you know, we've got, we've got American citizens ready to step up if there are who doesn't. I can't believe, you know, everybody, uh, I used an expression in my video the other day. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. If all these politicians who want their face on Mount Rushmore, all these politicians who want to go down to history, boy, I've never seen such a hanging curveball thrown for someone to stand up and distinguish themselves now as being a Teddy Roosevelt, as being an Abe Lincoln. Do you think it was an easy choice for them? Do you think they had easy no. choices? No. These politicians just wet their pants. This is this is what I had. I had this great friend. If you ever want to read a funny article, look up my name and Sports Illustrated and Brian Williams. I had this great friendship with an NBA player. He's gone. He died in a triple murder. But he... Uh, he used to tell me in the NBA, <clears throat> there were people he, he, that you knew that at the end of the game, they really, if they're down by one and three seconds left, they really didn't want the ball. They may act like they want the ball. They don't want the ball. There's very few people who really want the ball at that moment and have the whole thing come down to them. Brian Williams always wanted that ball in that moment. And similarly, these politicians, they all want to be known as great men. Here's your chance. They hear the ball. There's a scramble on the floor for the ball. Any one of them can get this. Any one of them could sign off on it, and this this whole Supreme Court case is alive. And yet, look, watch them. But no, don't lose heart. There's several of them. Look, I several of them had dolphin speakers talking to dolphin speakers of our acquaintance last week. So there's still a lively possibility. Before it yeah, goes I'm, I'm I'm hoping so. I mean, the people have been putting pressure on their attorney generals, and it's just going to be up to Thank the point you. where they can embarrass them and take the reins and say, you know what, I'm going to do it on your behalf because you're a loser. So let's go. Merry so, Christmas to all your listeners. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Xinyan Kuai Le to all of your China listeners. Take care, Tori. Thanks so much. for You've been the highlight of the year getting to know you. Ouais. À tout à l'heure. I'll speak to you. À tout à l'heure. À la prochaine, mon ami. À la prochaine. Ouais, ouais. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Bye, Patrick. Thanks for being on. All right, guys. So, um, so what Patrick is trying to describe is that all of us need to re-sit at the table and hash out. Uh, the one thing that a lot of, you know, journalists and people that have approached me don't understand is that I've got half a million generals. Uh, they do their thing and they will take uh, hold and do the things they want to do. And I will never, ever say, oh, you know, I think this is a great idea or let's use this tool if I'm not willing to do it. Um, and I think that's important because we're the ones that have created and facilitated what you are seeing now. This resistance and this hesitancy from political leaders to actually jump in face first, unlike Chicago and New York, of course, um, to just railroad us, right, hasn't happened because of you. You know, this, this kind of reminds me, you know, in the Bible, if you read that, and even in the Quran, and even in the Torah, it speaks of this almighty God that 
changes times and seasons. And there is a time of turmoil, of terror and catastrophe and death and violence. But this one is more subtle. This is a more subtle storm that is to come upon the people, as you can see. It's subtle and strange. It's as if they all want blood to be spilling on the streets of martyrs and children and not caring. And I'll show you where this idea came from. It's strange because they've infiltrated every facet. The, the, the storm, this evil, has infiltrated your screens, your music, right? Everything. And I can tell you, if I remember history correctly, they will cause a blackout. We will see places like Long Island and New York blacked out. So you cannot see, you cannot hear because they will try to take hold. They are crying out for war. Nations across this planet are crying out for war. Where the fuck are the shepherds? They all ran away. They don't have balls. They're standing there and prodding. Look at me. I'm going to have a great conversation with this person. Watch me. Hello. Oh, look, I get to speak to the president. Oh, look, come watch me. They're all standing and prodding the people. They've done absolutely nothing. The sheep, they believed, would follow all these stars, all these celebrities, all these influencers. Please, you know, as we sit there and we pray, I beg him with a double-edged sword, hand bleeding as I ask, you know, don't let it happen that way. Don't let Bronx be first. New Jersey coming in, please don't let it happen. So in 2022, obviously I told you it is the year of the youth, but it is the year of increase. See, if you have a little bit of wisdom, he will give you more. If you have a little bit of good, he will amplify that. If you have a little bit of bravery, he will put that shit on steroids. But it also goes the other way around. See, you only need a shepherd if you need to be led somewhere. We've just realized where the shepherds went. They have no sheep anymore. That's the problem. They have no sheep. They have no sheep. You know, when I was a young kid, I'm going to tell you this. Living in New York, um, I thought people around me were actually quite strange at a young age, right? I, I actually enjoyed hanging out in my church. Um, I would hang out with the nuns and the priests. Obviously, uh, they would smack me on my hand with a ruler because I'd say all the bad words. And I would question everything that they would make me read about. I would ask questions. And, you know, I thought people were really, really strange. And the reason I thought they were strange is because none of them had any ideas. Nobody was thinking. Like, it seemed like their brains didn't work to me. Not saying that they were dumb. It's that they, they, they weren't thinking. I would engage in conversations with older people older than me, mostly with the priests and the nuns, right? Obviously they would bring it back to a more spiritual thing. And then they'd make me write out in like clean Greek, Katharevusin, which is uh, in between modern Greek and ancient Greek. I'd have to write it as a punishment over and over again because I blasphemed 
right? But in the end, they would understand that I wasn't trying to blaspheme. I was asking the right questions. And, um, you know, and now my, the priest that used to teach me, um, scripture and, um, you know, would babysit me basically because it was like an after school thing. He's now, uh, um, a bishop. He still knows my name. So many children have gone through their school, but very few challenge them as well to find better faith. And I think it was because I was engaging in conversations. I wanted to talk more like grownups. I wanted to, 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 to be intrigued. And, and even, you know, I even learned another language at a very young age so that I can talk to the lady um, that would clean the church, right? Uh, so I can engage in conversation. This is, you know, this was me as a, as a child. And I remember, uh, you know, it was at the age of eight when I drew that engine, right? I drew an engine, an actual engine to go to the stars. And I used the 103rd element on the periodic. Back then it was called an exhelium. Now it's disappeared. It calls Laurentium. They've changed everything. Uh, you know, and that was in the late eighties. And looking back on it, and I know I have saved that composition book from the original, um, you know, um, designs that I did. Um, it's an atomic bomb, basically, <laughs> like, because it was pretty much an atom splitting and splitting and splitting, but it actually reacted to something that I had, you know, wrote in my paper as um, tensegrity, which only I've seen maybe in the past couple years, someone in Harvard referred to that when speaking about uh, plants and how they um, uh, feel things out and, and how the immune system responds, which is the, the tension around it, right? So basically this atom would split and cause renewable energy because its decay would be dependent on mechanical stimuli, meaning that when that atom felt that it was crowded, it would degrade. So the oldest atom would degrade and therefore it wouldn't explode. Unlike uranium, it'll just keep splitting until it freaking explodes, right? So I, I was, I was full of fucking ideas when I was a kid. I was curious. I would leave the library with garbage bags of books, right? And, you know, up until the third grade, I would only leave the school, uh, like, uh, three times a week with like a short bus, not for crazy kids, not, you know, but to just like a high school or St. John's college to do other classes with smart kids. Um, but then after the third grade, I was in the fourth grade. The teacher's name was Mrs. Kaufman. I remember her. It was this really hot boy who I still keep in touch with. His name was Armand. He joined the army too. And, um, <laughs> right. And I remember after that, I kept going to these other schools where I was with a lot of other people like me that had like really, that couldn't stop thinking, you know, coming up with ideas where we would be able to access technology that even today I can't even recognize yet. And, you know, I was thinking I was weird. I was weird because I thought that there were no limits to what I could do. I thought I was weird that I thought that my teachers were talking to me like I was a baby. I thought I was weird that, you know, I would turn around and tell someone, you can do it too. And people would look at me like, no, they can't. They're like this. And I'm like, well, why not? They can do whatever they want. You know, aren't you telling kids that they give me? Yeah, but they have to do it when they go to college. And I was like, who said they could, they could play the piano and have a concert at Radio City Hall at four if they really wanted to. And it was like people around me were not thinking. And I, my mind was constantly bombarded with like ideas. 
ideas that that I couldn't believe people around me weren't having, ideas that people around me didn't grasp that they were in charge. It wasn't an authority issue, right? It was it was you have the same equal opportunity, and I don't want to talk like an EEO standard, but it's 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 like all of you are 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 like me. There is no anyone above. We are all the same. We are all the same and everyone has the same potential. I, I think it's just cracking this, this bubble. You know, uh, it's like this, this place where you're being terrorized and, and constrained when you don't have to. And, and I was hoping that there would be more people that would see that over this stuff that's happening now in SCOTUS, the fact that attorney generals are like, shit, do I join? Do I not join? Like, do I take the leap and do it when they know that it's a risk because they know that the system's corrupt? You know, this is what you've done. So for this year, it'll be the year of increase, an increase in amplification in so much. And like I, I, I was telling Patrick Byrne, all of you will take heed for that. All of you will take control for that. You will make that happen. No one else. There's not going to be a leader that's going to do it for you. It's going to be you because you have the power to do it. They are there to serve you. And we are here to serve each other. And once that concept is embraced, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Because today I'm going to show you how the Excelsior Club, <laughs> Excelsior, it's like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow knew why he wrote that poem. Why he wrote that poem. It's actually quite dark. A lot of people talk about, you know, all these societies. I don't know if you guys had read my article about Mattis and Justice Roberts and Malta. But there's one club that nobody talks about that is the one that actually decided on all of this. All of this has been pre-planned. And important that you understand that. And this is why the cities and the countries are still happening. Regardless of the delay that happened because we inserted ourselves in early 2000, regardless how they try to change it, they already knew. And what they used was some stupid computer that came out, some stupid computer that came out and said, well, we need to kill people because we're all going to die. And, and this isn't a joke. In 1973, Australia had one of the largest computers uh, at that point that was crunching numbers. And on November 9th, 1973, a segment was aired that I'm going to play for you. Now, I've spoken about ecology before, and a lot of you have looked into things that Bill Gates has talked about, which are factual in regards to population right? They are actual numbers. If you actually look and understand that ecology, we study it in college, it's not let's go hug a tree, okay? Let's plant two trees so we can make more. It's about understanding the dynamic of birth rates, death rates, and population, and how survival of the fittest happen. Now, I'm going to show you a few clips today that are probably going to get you very upset because it has all been done before. Now, this computer, 
these predictive analytics that they would feed, right, are mimicking a computer that they wish they had the ability to reverse engineer and they couldn't. This is why they had kids like me play with it, hoping that kids like me would open their mouth and say something, right? A little golden little cube computer, right? They just, eh. They try to replicate it. So in 1973, this computer apparently predicted the end of our population and why it would become. This is why they've put down on the premise of climate change, which in one sense from a distance, it would make sense if there were no remedies to the activities of human activities and that there was no common sense or knowledge. And one thing that I had with my chat with my Chinese uh, listener base was the concerns that they have that they see that everything that we are going through right now happened in the 80s and the 90s in China. Everything. And they are terrified because the United States is that beacon of hope. The whole world is watching us. They're not watching President Trump. They're not watching Lynn Wood. They're not watching Sidney Powell. They're definitely not watching General Flynn. They're not watching Cackling Carly. They're not watching any fucking el- anyone else but you, right? They're watching you, the people, and how you're responding. They're not watching CNN. They're not watching Fox. They're not watching Maria Bartiromo. They're not watching Candace Owens. They're watching you. And what they're watching is that you're letting them steamroll, but they're also watching that you're slowly rising and you are causing a resistance the right way. You have always been the plan against this. You have always been the plan. And yes, it's a double-edged sword because you have to have faith in humanity in order to allow it to perpetuate on the road of good. You have to have faith that people with knowledge will use it for good rather than evil. You have to have faith that people will stand up no matter how much they're trying to demoralize you by by putting this boot on your face. Many of you are panicking and you will get uncomfortable. And as I've said for a long time, your gut tells you everything you need to know. I don't need to tell you who to trust, who to follow. But what you do need to do is simply pray. Now let's take a quick break and I'll be right back. Well, you almost had me fooled. Told me that I was nothing without you. Oh. And after everything you've done I can thank you for How strong I have become Cause you brought the flames And you put me through hell I had to learn how to fight for myself And we both know all the truth I can tell I'll just say this is I wish you farewell I hope you're somewhere praying Your soul is changing, changing. I hope you find your peace, falling on your knees. Praying. I'm proud of who I am. 
No more monsters I can breathe again And you said that I was done Oh, you were wrong and now The best is yet to come Cause I can't make it on my own And I don't need you I found a strength I've never known And I'll bring thunder, I'll bring rain Whoa. When I'm finished, they won't even know your name You brought the flames and you put me through hell I had to learn how to fight for myself And we both know all the truth I tell I'll just say this is I wish you farewell I hope you're somewhere praying Praying, I hope your soul is that's basically what we need is a lot of prayer because you'll be surprised through prayer how much strength you gain um you know i i've struggled with my faith uh, all my life, more so because of the evil that I saw and the evil that I was okay with existing because it was it was less evil than the other one. There shouldn't be any. We all grow. I mean, did you ever notice this? I'm just going to show you something, just how evil crept in. And I'm sure a lot of you didn't even think much of it because it was a campaign for our children. Have you ever seen this commercial? It's going to be quite interesting. I think all of you are going to be shocked. This is from 1998. If you get pregnant, this is what the rest of your teenage years are going to sound like. You can go farther when you don't go all the way. If you need help, call this number. Have you ever seen that commercial in the late 90s? How messed up is that? How messed up is that? If you need help, how messed up was that? Didn't just send chills down your spine with today's eyes and ears. To see that, to see them call themselves that they're, you know, all about children and how to make things better and how important it is. It's pretty sick, isn't it? I wonder what they did with all those children when people called for help. I wonder what they did with all those aborted children when people called for help. See, that's, that's something that should terrify you just thinking about it, right? It's a campaign for children incorporated. You should look into that. Campaign for children incorporated. Again, let me show it to you. Look at it again. You need to see it. So you can understand it. It is the most disgusting thing ever. And yet, nobody realized just how evil it was. Evil. If you get pregnant, this is what the rest of your teenage years are going to sound like. You can go farther when you don't go all the way. Campaign for our Children, Inc. 
Look at that. That was aired in December of 1998, right? 1998. You see? And now New York wants to do away with uh, the parents' right to not allow them to get STD shots at any age. <laughs> you know, because if they rape your kid and give it herpes at the age of five, you shouldn't have to know. But anyway, I digress. It's important that we see what Excelsior means. Excelsior has a lot of meanings. But you know who coined the term Excelsior? It was Stanley. I have some signed stuff from him. I met him a couple times too. It was quite fascinating to see the person that morphed, uh, you know, superheroes and what he had to say about Excelsior, because uh, those were the questions that I asked him. Characters, um, would you say, is closest to your own character I don't, I don't know. know. I'd, I'd like, like to think, think that I'm an amalgam of all those characters. All, all of their, their best, best features are probably based on me. Spider-Man? I gave more characters than I thought before. You know, Spider-Man, I always wanted to experience real and And I always wanted to be appreciated as a real hero. It seems you've made me into one. Someone is calling you it gave such another dimension to our characters because if you know what somebody is thinking, you really know the person. It's really great knowing they're out there. Someone's watching over us. Yeah, they're watching us. Yeah, they're watching us. Understand? We all have to grow up sometime, I suppose. Even us characters of fiction. You know. I guess one person can make a difference. I think maybe I'm proudest of the fact that I meet so many people who say to me, gee, Stan, I've been reading your things since I was very young. Christmas Maybe what I'm doing isn't really unimportant. Maybe entertainment is one of the most important things because there are so many bad things in the world that if you can entertain somebody for the world, it's a good thing. So I think I'm proudest of the fact that maybe some of the things I've done have entertained people. Did you see my cameo? Made the movie. Love seeing you two together again. You always were my favorites. I've got the usual for you. Good to have you back, sir. Are you Tony Stank? Enough said. That is hilarious. Superheroes in New York, Kimmy. Truly well, oh, I love you all, and my parting word, of course, is Excelsior! Excelsior!
See, a conversation that I had once with Stan Lee uh, where he signed a poster for me. Um, and we have had many over the years um, was uh, the discussion of how I disliked that he gave superpowers because of something extraordinary that happened to the characters. That it was never just an ordinary person that had that power. And, you know, um, the first time I met him, he would, <laughs> his comment was, um, you know, why do you wear black? Right. And I told him it's because I'm, I'm a widow. I don't have anywhere I belong. So I feel like I've been kind of alone. And he laughed at that. And then I said, you know, I'm from New York. So, you know, obviously black is the uniform, right? And um, that was our first conversation. And that happened in New York, right? Um, the best conversation we had was when I ran into him in London uh, again. And... Um, I again told him, you know, I, I am very distraught at the fact that all your superheroes have either had some event happen to them uh, to have a superpower when, you know, and he was like, well, that's not right. And I was like, well, then how do you become higher than the high? How do you destroy Excelsior? And um, I guess... His response was, I don't think you can in this universe, but maybe we can try it. And villains are the ones that have no extra superpowers. They just are. That most villains, and, and, and I saw that, and I was a little bit, you know, taken back with the, the last conversation we had was um, in uh, 20... 15. And, you know, there I am. And I said, so this is going to be the first time I'm going to ask you to sign something because you don't look well. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I said, now I get the villain thing that villains usually don't have to, uh, have something supernatural happen to them. Simply being human is being a villain. And and that was kind of weird because I understood how they drew the power uh, from authority that they've taken from the people. And um, it was quite an exceptional uh, conversation uh, that time uh, I, because I ran into him at the Comic-Con. I was there um, meeting up with a makeup artist for something that I was going to do. And that's where I ran into um, um Freddy Krueger and posed because he had the same makeup artist and um, that I was going to ask who, by the way, also worked for the agency, just so you know. And um, that's why I have that picture of, <laughs> dude, I, I need a picture with Freddy Krueger strangling me because <laughs> you yeah, have to have that. And, um, you know, that's where we had like a really good talk, um, a really, really good talk. 
um, with Stanley about that. And it was the first time I asked him to sign something as I knew that, you know, he was going and I just grabbed whatever poster was out there. And I was like, here, sign this. And I was like, I get it now that all of them have to have some form of either insane money or, um, you know, get bitten by something or be struck by an asteroid. Um, you know, and, you know, he was like, well, don't complain. I have a villain that turned into a good person too. And could have been all those, you know, decades that we've been running into each other too. Um, but Excelsior, there's another video where he talks about what it means. I, I, I want you, because you heard him say Excelsior, he knew exactly what that meant. And a lot of people do too. Before this video starts, I'd like to say rest in peace to one of the greatest human beings to ever live, Stanley. Rest in peace, man. 95 years old. You lived your life perfectly and amazingly, and you gave me the best childhood ever. Rest in peace, man. I must have absolute silence. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> Someday I'll find out what that means. Excelsior. Well, what does that mean? Well, the man behind that catchphrase is well known for helping to usher in what fans known as the Silver Age in comic books. And by driving the creation of characters including the X-Men, Spider-Man, and Iron Man, he also paved the way for Marvel's newly total takeover of Hollywood. Excelsior has long been Lee's catchphrase. In the mid-1960s, not long after Atlas Comics rebranded as Marvel, Lee wrote a monthly column for the comics publisher in which he'd sign off with Excelsior, a Latin word meaning ever upward. He told io9 in 2007 that he wanted a unique word to himself that his rivals at the time wouldn't be tempted to copy. In his words, Lee said, I used to have a lot of expressions that I would end my comic book columns with. Hang loose, face front, enough said, and I found that competition was always imitating them and using them. So, I said, I'm going to get one expression that they're not going to know what it means, and they won't know how to spell it. And that's where Excelsior came up, and they never did take up on it. Thank goodness. Stanley is the heartbeat of Marvel. He had a relentless imagination, pioneering spirit, and a heroic work ethic. Stanley, we love you, we miss you. Signing off. Excelsior. That is actually the name of the first COVID, uh, first state wallet, the Excelsior Pass. Excelsior is written on New York's flag. And if you look at their tunnels and bridges, they're stamped with a very weird symbology that bear that name too. He knew exactly what it meant. So let's go back to 1973. And how this computer predicted the end of civilization. It's not some science fantasy effect from 2001. This electronic display emanating from Australia's largest computer is a picture of the condition past, present and future of planet Earth. 
The program was originally devised by a scientist working from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Jay Forrester. It was developed under the auspices of the Club of Rome by an MIT research team to present a complex model of the world and what we humans are doing to it. The program, called World One, doesn't pretend to be a precise forecast. What it does for the first time in man's history on the planet is to look at the world as one system. It shows that Earth cannot sustain present population and industrial growth for much more than a few decades. It shows that simply cleaning up our car exhausts and making some small effort to limit our families simply isn't enough. It's like an electronic guided tour of our global behavior since 1900 and where that behavior will lead us. Well, this is the printed version of what we've just seen on the television screen. What looks at first to be just a maze of computer characteristics is really a system of very simple graphs which project what's going to happen to the planet over the next 150 years if we don't do something drastic to stop it. Down the left-hand side of the graph is the date, 1900, 1940, 1980, 2020, right down to 2060. Now, each of these lines of, of letters represents a curve showing some aspect of the condition of the planet. The further out this way they go, the greater that figure is, the further this way, uh, the less. For example, P represents population. So here it is at 1900 and then it comes up to 1940, it starts to take off. Here we are at 1980, up to the turn of the century, and then it starts to peter off. Let's now have a look at this next curve, the Q curve, which is the quality of life. And this is represented by, for example, the amount of space people have, the uh, amount of money they have to spend, the amount of food they have to eat. Now, it increases rapidly up to 1940, but from 1940 on, the quality of life diminishes. And here we are about the turn of the century and we come up to the year 2020 and it's really come right back. More people, of course, means that you start to chew up your supply of natural resources. And this is this curve here, the N curve, that shows that slowly but steadily the pool of natural wealth in the world, natural resources, minerals, oil and so on, is slowly but steadily diminishing. So this is the situation. As population increases, the quality of life decreases and the supply of natural resources decreases. But have a look at this curve here. This is called the Z curve and it represents pop, uh, pollution. Now, predictably enough, as the population increases up to 1980, pollution increases. There's more rubbish. But from 1980 to the year 2020, pollution really takes off. This is assuming, of course, that we don't do anything about it. So the year 2020, the condition of the planet starts to become highly critical. And if we don't do anything about it, this is what's going to happen. The quality of life is going to go right back to practically zero. Pollution is going to become so serious, right out here, that it will start to kill people. So the population will diminish. Right back here, less than it was in the year 1900. And at this stage, round about the year 2040, 2050, civilized life as we know it on this planet will cease to exist. Well, hopefully, of course, it won't be allowed to happen, but it's taken this kind of shock treatment to nudge governments into doing something, and slowly we are. We're starting to clean up our atmosphere. We're starting to recycle our rubbish. We're doing something positive about population control. But so far, our efforts have really been just a drop in the ocean.
The Club of Rome comprises some 70 men of widely varying backgrounds, but their common concern is that the world problems cannot be solved by individual nations. I spoke with Professor Hugo Tiemann, director of the Battelle Institute Geneva, Dr. Aurelio Pache, founder of the club, and Dr. Alexander King, director of the World Bank and the United Nations OECD. Dr. King, now you're describing the world as a closed system where all these things are interrelated, and yet the government, the control of the system is by individual nation states. Now, how do you convince them to cooperate? The sovereignty of these nations is no longer as absolute as it was. There's a gradual diminishing, whittling away of sovereignty, little bit by little bit. Especially, of course, in the smaller countries where it's more obvious. But the bigger countries have to do a good deal of this by agreeing with into international arrangements for uh, the law of the seas or for the limits of fishing or for control of, uh, of the wavelengths and radio and 101 other things. But uh, especially in the technological field, I think this is going to be increasingly so because of developments next year. I was at an important meeting in Washington a couple of weeks ago, and Peterson, the former Secretary of Commerce, was saying the same thing from an economic point of view, that the general world economic situation, the interdependence of countries on their food and fuels and so on, is leading to an interdependence which has seeds of draining away of sovereignty within it. So I don't think one can envisage an idealistic of jumping to a world federalism or anything of that sort. But the building up probably in the next uh, decade in a number of uh, particularly sensitive fields like energy, raw materials, uh, the use of the oceans, space and so on, of a number of uh, what people are tending to call regimes, which will not be ordinary United Nations type of organizations, but semi-management organizations. There'd be a great deal of consent in them. Dr. Bachay views the European common market as an elementary example of the kind of regional cooperative which is going to be necessary. What responsibilities does he see for Australia? Australia, you, you are in a splendid uh, position. What should we do? Uh, we, you, you have uh, uh, food, energy, space, uh, 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 you, you are distant from, from other centers, so you can, uh, uh, for a longer time, uh, feel uh, rather more independent than interdependent. Uh, but things of the world are going so fast that I, I think that an enlightened leadership in Australia should see down the road that Australia will have to lose some of its uh, uh, own uh, 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 self-decisions uh, in order to acquire something else uh, which uh, may be uh, purely uh, uh, political in their wide sense or maybe also security. The Club of Rome is reluctant to point the finger at any one nation, yet clearly nations like the United States, which consumes approximately 60% of the world's resources, will in the club's view have to accept a severe cutback in its voracious appetite. But the club's utterances are cloaked in a velvet democracy in the hope that their facts will gently persuade. We will ask who is making the decision and whether the decision makers of today, whether they perceive the problems, what kind of problems and the interactions of the problems. That's a very pragmatic approach. Has the time come, Dr. King, when 
we're going to have to say we can no longer entrust our resources and, uh, and the exploitation of those resources to private enterprise. Is the time come when governments will simply have to take more control? Simple nationalization and things like that wouldn't help at all because we've got to keep an incentive approach. And many of the good aspects of private enterprise are very necessary here, but not in the old exploitative way where the market forces dominate the whole situation. Dr. Pichai, can you tell me what my lifestyle will be in a hundred years' time? What sort of car I'll drive, what sort of house I'll live in, uh, what sort of food I'll be eating? Probably you will uh, 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 have a smaller car. You will use more uh, common transport means. Uh, you will work uh, many uh, uh, far less hours. Uh, you will have a wider culture. Uh, cultural possibilities that, that, that today, uh, you will not be so much pressed by uh, immediate needs because through technology, organization of the markets, uh, the basic needs will be taken care of. Uh, and I think that uh, you will love nature and continue then what uh, I think you are doing now uh, to protect uh, our environment, uh, to avoid this uh, uh, man-made world uh, where uh, the creatures of nature, the uh, animals, the plants, uh, the green spaces, the wildernesses uh, are, are bound to disappear. To the Club of Rome, the status symbols of the year 2000 will be the inverse of today's. Prestige will stem from low consumption. That personal consumption will have to be less is plain enough. But for that privation to be seen as prestigious would seem to indicate some radical rethinking, at least for the fat cats of the planet. So, um, see, <laughs> now you're getting it. You know, the question, the question of, oh, you know, it's just them. Guys, this started a long time ago. When JFK decided that he wanted to throw a wrench into it, they took him out. This was all planned from a very, very long time ago. And the wars and the moves that you see are uh, just uh, disagreements that they have in the back doors. The only problem that they have is you. Well, it's us, the actual working middle class that have a voice, that drive the economy, that can kneel every single one of them down because we can inspire the masses globally. This is why so many people that were leaders a year ago, leaders two years ago, leaders three years ago, are leaders no more. Now, we need to trim the fat. The stars are nothing that you follow because the sheep are gone. You're all fucking shepherds. Shepherds to your own children and the future of your children. You are, you are standing watch for them. Everything you do today is for them. Because, <laughs> you know, we're going to be gone in, well, I know I'll be gone in six years, seven years, just under seven years, right? About seven years, you might get 10 or 20 or even 30 or 40. Or maybe one. You're going to leave behind your loved ones to have to go through what they're saying. 
You're going to have nothing and you're going to love it. There's more. There's more on this. But before we go there, let's talk computers a little bit. See, this is where it gets dangerous. Have you guys ever seen the show, The 100? Right. And that was a fantastic show uh, that I loved. There was one part where they found out, you know, uh, you know, where they went into space and then they came back down to Earth because there was some, you know, explosion and then they got rid of all the kids. Right. The kids were put in prison. And so that prison fell to earth, basically, in summary. And then they survived and they grew up and they saved everyone and they went to other worlds and they went into capsules and they went to other places. But, you know, here's where you find out why the world exploded in the first place. Interesting. I thought I had that under control. The neural interface is the key to everything. If we don't crack that, then we might as well go back to the alley code and start again. We can always ask her. Speak of the devil. Slow down. I'm locking in the signal. She got out. She's on the grid. She's cracking systems. She just got through the portal security for Stratcom in Omaha. What is she doing? She's hacking nuclear launch codes. What? Too many people. Send Ali's poison pill virus through the web. Do it now. Kill her. I did that ten minutes ago. She's locked me out of everything. Chris, get to the lighthouse bunker. Do it now. Doctors, there's a situation on the ground. 27 ICBMs have been launched from China. No one knows why, but it's real. They're ready for the United States. Open the window. I've told a crew to contact their families. If there's anyone you need to talk to. I'm here, patch you through. Oh. Emily? I'm here. Oh, thank God. Is Sarah with you? Yes, it's true. Hey, can you put her on the phone with us? I want her to hear my voice. Please. Yeah. Here she is. Daddy? Hey, baby girl. How good are we invite? Can you teach me how to ride it? Yeah, of course. I'll teach you to ride it as soon as we
so that's the TV series, The 100. And just to sum it up, Allie was an AI that was created in order to help humanity function better. And to be able to create sustainable environments at some point, Allie decided that um, through the neural interface, <clears throat> she escaped because she considered man to be the plague on the planet since she was programmed to protect their habitat rather than the people. And so this was the problem, that they've done this, but these are the things that they are discussing, which are called the limits of growth. Now, Jim Gray, he um, won a Turing Award. Um, he was hired by IBM to evaluate models behind the Club of Rome's famous 1972 report on limits of growth. This is something that, uh, you know, um, uh, Bill Gates toots. So let's watch this video about limits of growth that the Club of Rome projects. And this is what the elitists believe. They believe that in order to survive, you must protect the habitat amongst all. And this justifies the means. And that, you know, since you are not an elite member, uh, you don't have the right to complain. You just simply are. And you will do it. And you will allow them to do it. I look at the past records of this growth rate is uh, a scarce forming. It does determine so much of what we are, who we are, what we are after. Grows about everything. Bacteria and babies, economies and empires, growth of everything. What's fascinating is to look at the, these S-curves forming one after another in these technical innovations, right? That's always the rule, you know, that uh, when they're in this ascending stage, people think, oh, wow, you know, and eventually everything forms that. Now we're on these plateaus. In many ways, yeah. Even plateau, yeah. the speed one, yeah. you know, we have the supersonic transport. Since 1958, today's planes don't fly any faster than Boeing 707. It's about 900 kilometers per hour. So we've been on the plateau since 1958, indeed. Which of course shows what we have known for ages and what uh, economists uh, refuse to accept that there cannot be uh, indeterminate growth on a finite planet. But, you know, there's some efficiency. Yeah, lots of efficiency. Yeah, Actually, okay. these planes are 70% more efficient than per passenger kilometers. So this is, this is underappreciated. The speed is the same, but 70% less energy per passenger kilometer. Amazing. So it's a fascinating examination of all these functions and conditions and preconditions and consequences of growth. The limits of growth, the theory of scarcity, the theory that you live in this chamber and this is it. Now, this is a 1988 interview of um, Gray. And um, this is an interview that was conducted by Barbara Fox for Microsoft in 1988. Uh, we, I do have the full interview as well, but this is one of the most important clips where he talks about the Club of Rome model. See, not a lot of people talk about the Club of Rome. I've mentioned it a few times, a couple times, but people didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear to just see how long it's been. When I tell you the ink wasn't dry yet, when that was taken to the printer by a woman who disappeared, it's fact. So um, at, at Berkeley, we were you know, very socially conscious, and we uh, wanted to see if we could use 
computers for things more than inventory control, and in particular, could we use them for some kinds of social planning? And there was a guy at uh, MIT by the name of Jay Forrester who had similar ideas. He'd been using computers for inventory control. And he said, you know, maybe we could use this for city planning. And then he, he did some of that. Urban Dynamics was a book that he wrote about that. And then he wrote, uh, I think it was called World Dynamics. And something called the Club of Rome got formed. And, and, and there was this very dystopian view of the world, uh, which is that, you know, we're going to run out of resources in the year 2020. And this computer model proves it. And uh, so I had uh, re-implemented Forrester's uh, models at, at Berkeley. And uh, I uh, went, uh, I was a postdoc at, at, at uh, Berkeley for two years, an IBM postdoc. And uh, I needed a job. And I went and uh, got a job at IBM in the general sciences group. And, uh, and indeed, the people who were running IBM at the time, uh, Watson, was looking at the Club of Rome and, and didn't actually believe or like the conclusions that they uh, had come to, and was eager for research in, in uh, IBM to uh, work in this area. And so I came along, and I could work in this area. And they, so they, it wasn't so much that they assigned me to work on it as I wanted to work on it, and uh, I had the credentials and uh, uh, made some progress on it. But frankly, the basic problem was the model was so screwy that Forrester had come up with and made such bogus predictions that uh, there really wasn't much to say besides this model is bogus. And, uh, and doing a correct model uh, is not something for dilettantes. I mean, it's, it's, it's fundamentally macroeconomics. And the economists have been working on this for a good long time. They've made a lot of progress in the last, it's been 40 years. Uh, they've made a lot of progress in the last 40 years. Uh, but it is a very, very slow process. It requires a lot of data gathering and a lot of very careful modeling, which uh, Frankly, neither Forrester nor I was up, up to. So he called it bogus. He said that it isn't it. Do you know when it was founded? It was founded in 1968. Because a lot of people talk about the Bilderberg meetings, the Davos meetings. They're not as important as the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome came about after certain changes happened within our government. Here's more about the Club of Rome. Rome is a global network of independent and renowned thinkers. The Club of Rome analyzes today's challenges facing the world, their root causes, and the possible futures in a systematic and holistic manner. The Club of Rome encourages global debate in order to set in motion actions that by the middle of the century will ensure a more secure, equitable, and prosperous world. Equitable. You love that? Well, let me show you what they were talking about in 2019, specifically Pennsylvania. Whoa, you will not believe what you will hear today. Let's skip over to this Pennsylvanian. Let's go to, oh, it was in South Africa, by the way, that meeting. This is quite fascinating. Emerging new civilizations So that said, as an introduction to what we do, uh, we unfortunately we don't have Audrey Kitagawa with us because she she's been victim of sickness, but we have a fantastic colleague and, and friend from the Club of Rome who brings with him at least two perspectives that of India, an, an ancient uh, civilization, and that in, of the U.S. 
where he lives and works and tries to make sustainability concrete and real in a big organization, which is Penn State University. So Paul Srivastava will give us some more insights on emerging new civilizations initiatives. Paul, the floor is yours. Thank you. Give me a few minutes notice. So this <laughs> initiative, the New Civilization Initiative, I have to say, I learned that I was going to replace uh, Audrey on Friday, and I boarded the plane on Saturday. So the thoughts that you're going to hear are not exactly prepared, but uh, I do have a presentation. I'll try to walk you through it. But it's not entirely clear in my mind what we emerge into, what the new civilization can be. So it's all very tentative. And as Carlos pointed out, we are still working through some of the core ideas. Uh, when uh, uh, Mamfela asked me to do this, she said, if I could address two issues, one is why we need to transition to a new civilization, and second, what would that transformation be like? What do we need to do the transformation? So I've prepared some remarks to address those two questions broadly. Uh, I want to thank Carlos for his kind introduction. I want to thank Mamfella for having the confidence to put this big charge of defining a new civilization on me with one day's notice. Uh, <laughs> and I want to thank the next generation because all I know about Africa this is frankly my first visit to South Africa. And everything that I know about Africa is through my connection with my own next generation. So my son has been working in Africa for five years. He lived in Senegal and Liberia for three years and now works in Washington, but his job is still in Africa. And over the five years, we've had many conversations that have just simply blown me away in terms of an understanding of what is going on on the ground in Africa. And I'm not, we won't have time to do all the story sharing around what I have learned, but I'll just give you one example of the kind of truths that you can get by being in Africa physically. And that have to be conveyed to your 70-year-old father at some point in life. Uh, so the first year that he was here, he, uh, we were having a conversation in the middle of the year, and I asked him, how are you doing? And he said, uh, everything is fine, except I'm always hungry. And I said, why are you always hungry? You have $5,000 in your bank account. Why don't you go and buy some food? He said, no, Dad, you don't understand hunger. He's telling this to his father, who grew up in a poor village in India. <laughs> so I said, what exactly does it mean? He said, when I say I'm hungry, I mean my village is also hungry. I can't just go buy food and eat it by myself. And I don't have enough food to share with everybody, so I prefer to just be with them. He was living with an African family at that time in a village in Senegal at the border of Mali. And it sort of opened my eyes to how Ubuntu can be translated. It's not all about me and I and what I'm feeling. It's also about you and others and being part of a community on such a fundamental thing as hunger. And there have been many other conversations such as these over the years, and I've developed a deep appreciation of the differences between my understanding of the world and the reality over here. So I say this rest of the presentation with great humility. If you don't find it relevant, that's understandable. So let me uh, 
also say as a part of sort of these early remarks that we've heard a lot of very interesting ideas and principles and, and uh, thoughts about what needs to be done. But I want to change the tone a little bit to action. Understanding is very important and I sort of have difficulty disagreeing with much of what has happened today. Uh, but I want to put a little more attention on how we do things, how do we act to change things that we find ourselves in. So my second part of my presentation will be more about change and action. So I'm going to flash a few slides up over here. Why do we need a new civilization? I have two answers. One is that things have changed fundamentally. And this is the science behind it. On the left-hand side, you see how things have changed on socioeconomic trends of population, real GDP, foreign direct investment. There are dozens of more variables that have been tracked. And these charts all begin in 1750 and go to 2010. I'm not going to give you a big mathematical or statistical lesson. There's only one lesson we are going to draw from this. Here's one lesson that you need to draw from this. The more people produce, the more people have technology, the more there will be production of paper, of fertilizing consumption, of all these things. So he's showing you from 1750, pay attention to the year, you know, because a lot of people like to talk shit. <clears throat> and I did mention this, I think it was on the Hagman thing in 2017, when I was completing my final infiltration right before I started what I started in 2017. And um, I said, if you look at the Paris climate change thing, the Paris Accord was actually created in the 1700s. A lot of people don't know that. It was created then. Because people don't like the truth. They get really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. And as someone that's a mathematician, I'll call bullshit. Marine fish capture. No shit. Now they have more than just nets, right? They've got organized structure. But if you notice the Club of Rome's initial one from the 70s, the even though the population was going up, the resources weren't going down. This is a biodome. It's supposed to sustain each. But here's the thing. There's a lot of creatures here that don't want to leave. There's a lot of creatures here that need you here to exist. Therefore, world depopulation, creating a new civilization is key because they're smarter than you and they know best. So you must listen, right? You must listen because they know best. Carbon dioxide, they say, increases. Methane is increasing. Nitrous oxide is increasing. Surface temperature is increasing. That's all bullshit because the ice cores kind of say so. But look at what they're pushing, a new civilization. Let's see what else he says. Then we have to create a new civilization. So that is my first answer. We are now officially, scientifically entered into what is being called the Anthropocene, a period in which humans and human activities and social activities and economic activities are what's driving nature. There is no such thing as nature anymore. We are the strongest force of nature. Whether it's the hydrological cycle or the carbon cycle or the nitrogen cycle or the phosphate cycle, 
They're not cyclical anymore. We determine when they happen, or sometimes we don't determine. We're just making changes that make those cycles deeply perturbed. So with this kind of force comes a lot of responsibility. We need to move into a different civilization, a different way of being, a different way of living. So we need to change everything around us. The World Economic Forum has recognized this for the last five years running. Some of the top risks to humans and to businesses, which is what they are interested in, are risks caused by these disturbances, extreme weather events and other sustainability risks. The other reason why we need to change is that we are already destroying and have destroyed significant parts of our existing civilization. Sometimes we don't notice it, especially in the area that I come from, central Pennsylvania, there is not that much evidence of what is being destroyed. But if you look around the world, we have destroyed so much that a number of jurisdictions, political jurisdictions or cities have declared climate emergencies. So you've heard about big cities like London and uh, uh, Vancouver and Sydney declaring climate emergencies. The numbers actually are 1177 cities. And if you look at the number today, it's probably gone over 1200 because every day there are dozens of cities declaring climate emergencies. 23 nations have declared emergencies. 7,000 colleges and universities have declared climate emergency. There are 290 million people now living under emergencies. But declaration of emergencies and action are two different things. So we need to do the declaration first. We have uh, 17,000 employees, about 8,000 of them are researchers, faculty members, who have expertise in everything from agriculture to energy to all the sustainability sciences. I came in two years ago with a clear mandate from the top to move the university towards sustainability in five areas. Curriculum, research, operations, the physical plant of the university, student life, and community engagement. And the way we are doing it is we are from the sanction from the top, we have adopted the sustainable development goals as the framework. And we have got every single budget unit to own sustainability for themselves. The sustainability office doesn't do sustainability for the College of Engineering or the College of Business. They have to do it for themselves. We are the consultants, we are the supporters. We can give them resources, both financial and intellectual. And we are hitting all the systems of the university because it's not just a question of mind change. And I don't think that for a university of this size, this size with knowledge across, we are the biggest climate research university. We have more IPCC authors than virtually any other university in the world. We know climate change. Our president is a climate scientist. So we don't have to think about mindset. We need to change the systems of the university. We need to change the decision-making processes of the university. So whether it is strategic planning system, we have something called the enterprise risk management system. We have something called the university investment system. 
which manages almost $10 billion in assets. Educator, but... Now, this is an hour-long conference. We're going to skip to some comments. As you can see, Penn State, Penn State, one of the cities, of course. Um, Philadelphia um, <laughs> is one key. But as you notice, that most presidents at universities in main cities actually have Club of Rome assets in them. So uh, they've infiltrated every single person. Oops. A choice. And I work in the creating opportunities for children in this country who live in very impoverished conditions in the townships. And we have proven that they can go on to university and do very well. But what is key to them doing well is in the refocusing of education, we have to focus on values-driven education. It's been disappointing for me today to not hear the word education. It, it, the Club of Rome has no hope if you don't prioritize education. We have a, we have a continent of a billion people. 50% of the people in this continent are under the age of 20. 2050, there will be 2 billion people. And again, 50% of that 2 billion will be under the age of 20. There is only one way to create a new civilization, and that is through a complete reframing of the way we teach children and the way they learn. The child has to be at the center. The child has to be empowered through emotional development, not just through filling up heads through information. We need a revolution, not just in Africa, because the education of the West has failed Africa and is failing the West. And I think the Club of Rome needs to really be metacognitive and very clear about its position with all of the good thoughts of today, without addressing the fact that so many children on this continent do not have access to school, and those who do have access to school have access to very, very poor education. There are some really exciting solutions possible, but they need deep investment, 20-year timelines that will not come by accident. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this one is directed to you, sir, uh, the last speaker. So, like you were saying, um, in our communities, I also come from Africa, Zimbabwe. Uh, I have my roots, my rural place. And we note that we as our communities, most of them, we have forgone, you know, indigenous lifestyle for urbanization because we... When development started in our communities, we felt it was the way to go because we had an eye for development and urbanization, living in a fancy house in a city. And uh, most of our parents or our grandparents started sending their children to school so that they can fetch jobs within the cities and take care of the family at the expense of what? Of nature. So you would notice that our societies our governments, they come again and they colonize those people. For instance, in my country, the people in the rural places, they are given fertilizers, they are given seedlings so that they can farm. But this is not a bad thing. But then, because somebody is offering something, then you tend to worship them. That's how it normally works because you're looking forward for something as well. But you will notice that this 
has actually forgone the indigenous knowledge, which has been the most sticking and lasting knowledge within our communities because we have some rituals or some activities that we would say on a Wednesday, you don't go to a farm. You are not allowed to cut trees within an area which is not yours. So this is a question to you. What can you, can, what can we do to gain this momentum back again within the, so within the communities? I'm sure we are now few within the rural places. We have displaced as young people. We are no longer investing in our rural communities. Whereas we are saying that's where the nature lies. That's where we have the most resources. That's where the big companies are coming to mine at the expense of our communities. And now we talk of indigenous knowledge as if I'm the one who's supposed to come again and teach my elderly the indigenous knowledge. Mm. Yet it's something that was existing there. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. My name. So that was what I wanted you to hear. It seems like they're saying that we need to urbanize and create a new society because now it's Anthropocene era. You know, the eras are, you know, the Jurassic era, Cretaceous era, Paleocene era, Eocene era, Oligocene era, uh, uh, era Miocene, uh, I think it's Pleistocene. No, it's Pliocene and then Pleistocene and then Holocene. So now they've declared that in 2019, the Anthropocene era has now come upon us. And the Anthropocene era means that it's a, it's a time, a geological time where human impact exists on the earth's geology. So they've just declared it, right? Everything else was based on this melting, <clears throat> Ice Age gone, dinosaurs gone, which used to be called dragons in the Bible, by the way. Uh, all this stuff, all these periods, so the Anthropocene era is now upon us, that we are now in charge of this earth and not the earth in charge of us. And therefore, that's a problem. Uh, Anthropocene means anthropo, which means person. Scene means era. So it's the Anthropocene. Um, so now they're saying that we're the problem. Now what that young man said is, all right, so we go and you guys come and you mine and you put your businesses and everyone goes to these urbanized cities and they engage. And then you're just like, oh, now we have climate impact. And he's like, well, in our cultures, when we were in rural areas before you yanked us out and had us worship your dollar, we had things like don't cut trees on that day because they understood rotating crops. Don't pick your shit all at once. You know, don't kill all the lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, because you won't have any tomorrow. You know, something called common sense because apparently to the club of Rome and to all of them, we have no common sense, right? So this is pure insanity. And what you don't see well, now you see, is that this has been going on for a long time. And in the 70s, they even said that there shouldn't be sovereignty among the nations and it should be dwindled and it should go and that we shouldn't be declaring. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> Trade is great. For nations like, you know, for any, no, trade is great, but it's not necessary. Like, um, okay. For example, when I would travel as a child, I would be in other countries like France or Germany or Japan or China or Greece. And I remember when I'd want to go to the supermarket, I'd want to go and get, you know, a cucumber, for example. Right. I'm just saying. And they'd be like, 
sorry, they're out of season. You can't have eggplants or cucumbers. They're not in season. I was upset because in America, I had them. I could get oranges and apples when I wanted, but in the other countries, they didn't have it. They would say, that's not in season yet. We don't have it. See, that's the way nature is, but it's also your climate. In the United States of America, we have different zones. And I learned about this a lot when I was looking into getting a fig tree. I wanted a fig tree. But it was telling me that in certain areas of the U.S., there's like zones. You can't plant certain trees because they can't survive. And I remember reading up on it and learning that in the United States, we have all of the zones. We can grow our own bananas. We can grow our own mangoes. We can have apples. We can have cherries. We can have everything. We have growing zones. So we have a sustainable environment that can sustain us. So in actual fact, we don't even need to trade. We don't need to buy carrots from Venezuela because we can grow our own and that can sustain us. So this whole impression of lack is incredible because now if you tell France and Greece and Germany, sorry, you can't have apples year round. You got to wait till they're in season. They're going to get salty because you got them primed that they could bring apples from New York, right? Or Canada or wherever the fuck they're sending them from. And, you know, they can still wax them. They can, they can do it. And this is what they did. What they decided was they would deploy it in Europe. They would create these economic zones and see how they would work out. This is how they took over the fisheries of the Brits that were there for centuries. Family business, fishing for cod. And suddenly, you know, the EU was like, yeah, sorry, you can't fish there. We've given that territory and that water to the Netherlands. And they're like, oh, the fuck you have? We've been here for centuries. Yeah, so that's the agreement. This is the European economic zone. We decide who does it. I remember back in the days, my almond farm, right? Um, we had to pay taxes on that, that my grandfather left us and we had to pay taxes on it because we refused to take money to plant strawberries because we were told we had to take down all the trees and plant strawberries because that's what the European Union wanted or else we're going to pay tax. And if we put strawberries, we don't have to pay tax because they'll harvest them and therefore we can keep our land. And I was just like, the fuck? What do you mean you can keep that? I can keep the land. The land has been in my family for a thousand years. Why would you come along and say, well, I'm taking it because you're not planting strawberries? Ah, see, this is how they do it. Those were called packets de lore. They were handing them out like fucking candy in the early 2000s to every single nation so they can change the way they would farm. And see, in the United States, we don't have that. Our farmers know where they can grow wheat. They know where they can grow all this stuff. And they've been doing it since the founding of America, where we can have oranges. What is it? Orange state, Florida, peaches, Georgia, apples, New York, wheat, you know, Midwest. I mean, come on. See, it's all a sham trying to make you think there's lack because the lack is their lack. They lack the power to control so many people. So therefore they can justify it. Shiny new virus will do just that. They can unperson you because you are a threat to public health because everyone's just going to die and everyone's going to get sick and die. You know, and I saw a lot of people giving a lot of shit where Bill O'Reilly and President Trump were talking. Yeah, I got the vaccine. Yeah, I got the boost. I thought he got the J&J. So how do you get a booster? But whatever. Um, bottom line is he said, if you don't want to take it, you don't have to. That's what you should stand by. 
right? These people are forcing you to do it because they need you to be on the ID. You understand? They're making it a pandemic because they need you to have your pass, your citizen pass. Because then comes in the cryptocurrency, like New York is deploying. And I know a lot of you love DeSantis, but Florida is getting its own cryptocurrency too. No cash dollar dollar for you. You get Bitcoins or whatever they want to call them. So you have to pay attention to the small details because someone like Lindsey Graham, remember, oh, Kavanaugh, you're doing this and that. And then he would go and backstab everything else that this nation was trying to achieve under President Trump. And DeSantis is a great guy. He's great for Florida. <laughs> rah, rah. You should have a choice. Rah, rah. You should have. A but hey, here, we're going to have our own cryptocurrency. And it's like, wait a minute. Why? Oh, I get it. Benefits are going to be through digital currency. And then he'll find a way to be like, well, you know, we got to be safe as Floridians since we've split up from the other places. And Florida as a nation state will now require that you have identification and allowed to enter Florida in the future. Right. So this is how it goes. They want this split. They want to tear apart the cities and the country. See, this is how it happens. And this is going around globally. You're just not interpreting it as such because there's subtleties. This is why I say consistency is important when you see people flip flopping, talking shit or saying things that they can't come back from. You know, there's little things that just like, ah, spidey senses say my gut says fuck that. And I know a lot of people, you know, the associations that I have with various people, uh, no, I can, I can be communicative with many people because everyone is redeemable. Everyone, everyone is redeemable and everyone makes mistakes and everyone thinks they know. But see, the one thing that they haven't understood is how you, the people has, have risen up right now. You have risen up like no other. Make no mistake on that. You have risen up above everything. You're falling into rabbit holes where people will tell you, oh, here's the cure for the vaccine. Here's what you're going to do so you can stop it. Fuck it. It's done. You can't control that shit. Their narrative, you can't control it. They will continue beating to their drum. What can you control is how you respond to it. So it's very important that you need to understand how to fight this. A lot of people don't know because they only know certain ways. They're either kinetic, psychological, but what you need to understand that this is not a war for blood. Nah, it, I mean, they'd love it, but it's not. And it's not a war, right, just for your mind. This is about your values and your soul, what you will allow to happen. Think, you know, when, when speaking to the people in Taiwan and China and even Korea and Vietnam um, that listen to my show, right? And I'm actually quite shocked that they even, you know, dub it and share it among their back channels, right? Because it's like forbidden fruit. And it's like, what? Why? I only speak truth. I don't engage in 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 wars, right? I don't want to engage in wars. I have. I don't want to. Um, but I do believe that what they see is that they, for so many years, had turned the blind eye. You think that there isn't one Chinese person that sees the segregation in their society? 
You think that there's not one Chinese person that sees what they do to the Uyghurs and how they harvest organs for the rich and the famous. Do you not see that the Filipinos and the Vietnamese see how those less fortunate are used as toys and then dumped in a dump? Dead? Of course they do. And what they are is a shame that they've allowed it to happen because they are realizing through your movements. This is why they're looking at you as leaders are showing them that you could have done this, but you chose not to. And now they want to change their youth. You know that the majority of the ages of uh, the Taiwanese and Vietnamese and Filipino people that listen to Tori says are between 20 and 30. And see, what you have been doing, this push, the, the complaints, the, the, the letters, the, the, the protesting correctly, right? Not out on the streets, but the right way that you actually make an impact, actually make an impact. All those things that you have been doing have been, have had efficacy, they're not just stupid marches. They're not organized marches. You go down to your attorney general, you held a sign, dropped off paperwork, and you went. Lots of you broke bread, had coffee, and you all convened. What can we do for our community? Hey, Joe, you want to run? We'll support the fuck out of you. Hey, I've I've got a few extra dollars. So do I. Let's get him a billboard. Hey, let's get some t-shirts on Zazzle. I can get about 20. Let's go. Let's get a couple of postcards. Let's get some stickers. Let's get some this. We can do this together. And this is how you take over. See, this is where you don't need anyone to lead you. You don't need anyone to create some event for you, right? See, while you're taking the power away from those that are corrupt in office, you're also taking the power away from those that wanted to be your shepherds. The ones that are telling you, you must follow them and they are patriots and you must listen and you must follow because they're telling you the news and this is what's important and you must follow them because they are superstars. Fuck them. You don't need anyone but yourself. And they're realizing that that's exactly what happened. When I, when I told you that we are going to wreck the place in 2020, I meant it. That we're going to change the face how things are done. I meant it. Rigged elections are not, right? It's not going to be straight ticket anymore. You know how they say, oh, in the primary, you just go straight ticket? Fuck that. This is how you win. This is how you win. You win. You win. Because you are in charge. See, you've taken away the power from those that have stolen it from you, both on the left and the fucking right. They don't deserve that. You have full authority, not them. And if people actually stuck together, and that's the problem, people don't stick together. They're all about themselves. Like, I, I'm sorry, a lot of people are turning point, fuck them. Like, what have they done for you? Be honest. Aside from funny memes and putting on these elaborate shows where they're telling you how everything's so fucked up, what have they done? Think about it for a second. Just take a moment and think about it. What have they done? They're creating these events. What have they done? See? Crickets. They haven't really done anything. They've put on nice events. They say beautiful things on TV, for those of you that watch it, right? They sit there and they make whoos and ahs and send memes around. What have they done? Not a fucking thing. 
trust in me and I will tell them. Who the fuck are you telling? You're talking to an echo chamber right now, right? Because they don't give a fuck. They can turn you off if they want to, but they're not because they want to demoralize the people and you're doing just that. You are talking to an echo chamber and you are blowing smoke into people's face and you are doing absolutely nothing. Because the one thing you need to think about is what the fuck have they done for you? Absolutely nothing. Now, a lot of people don't like Patrick Byrne. Oh, he keeps talking about General Flynn and he was on Pete Scantilly's show. And so, so that guy's actually put his money where his mouth is. And all the people associated with him have taken his money too. So he has put in a hundred percent. Okay. A hundred percent. Now you may not see it. I see it and I value that. And you should value that because a lot of people haven't done it. Obviously, I disagree with a lot of executions, but i he's smart when it comes to business. He's like me. He has ideas all the time. And he is passionate about his country. Whether someone does something fantastic or not, right? The effort is what matters. So when I hear people talking shit about someone that actually put their money where their mouth is, it's like, what have you done? Right? Oh, you had, he's, he's, he sticks to his truth. He goes in the boundaries that he sees and what he likes and what he does. And like I told him, I want to come down there and I want to fucking sit down and say, what the fuck is everybody doing? Hello? You need to start doing things without fucking telling people what to do. Okay? You need to give them knowledge. This is how you fix things. By giving people the tools and the knowledge to move forward. And yeah, I'm going to fucking go do that. You know, and, and every single time someone says, well, hey, you know, we're going to be doing this. Uh, what about your people? They're not my people. I'm one of them. I go with them. I'm not in front of them. I'm with them. I just have a big mouth. And obviously I'm a whistleblower. So I will sit and talk and I will put myself out there and I will share whatever knowledge I have and point to the direction where there is knowledge and then they go on with it. Because we're one. It's hard for people to grasp that concept when they, when all of our civilization have been trained differently over an eon, right? It, the whole world has been trained for an eon, right? For an eon to follow the leader, Simon says. And we're doing no. We're saying no. We're like, no, no more follow the leader. This is, I'm the leader. I may allow you to have power if I fancy. If I don't, you can kiss my ass. I will proceed the way I want to. And that's the way it is, right? And that is what mold is being broken with what? With knowledge, with access to information, with being able to see things from a 40,000 foot view, not from an echo chamber, not from a little box from a 40,000 fucking foot view where you can see that the world is literally on fire. People are, I mean, they're using our taxpayer dollars for human trafficking, for drug trafficking, for child trafficking, for horrendous experiments on children, on, on adults that they've trafficked, on animals globally. They are literally killing people with your hard-earned cash that they've taken from you. And then they're also taking that cash to fuck you too. Like, seriously, people aren't even talking about that. 
this is where you put your foot down. I mean, they're the house. Pelosi's lawyers want to use my tax dollars and yours to come after me for asking Congressman Cohen to come to the carpet and explain why he defamed me as the Kraken. See, you know, we can't, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I hear so much about a lot of people and a lot of it may be true, right? It may be true. This person's like this, that person's like that, right? I'm not going to sit to you here and tell you which is true, which is fact, which is fiction. But what I can tell you, whoever someone was yesterday, they're not today. Whoever someone was a year ago, they're not today. Whoever someone was five years ago or not today. And people get forged through fire, just like every single trusty weapon. And what you need to do is not ignore red flags, what you need to do is pay attention to details, details like, you know, hey, we're getting our cryptocurrency in Florida. And you're like, why do we need that? <laughs> but guess what? You can't be forced to take a vaccine. Yeah, but why do we need a cryptocurrency as a state? Explain. See, that should make you panic. Because if you're seeing what New York did and now Chicago is doing, I told you, cities in the countries, it's happening. Damn. Could have been avoided. But the thing is, people were so mesmerized with all this fucking bullshit following all the stars. I guess you have to be at the precipice to wake up. And hopefully, you're up now. Because you're up to bat. I know I'll be fine. I know my kids will be fine. But do you know that yours are? That's the question. And like Patrick Byrne said, he doesn't have to do this. He could be out on a boat. You know, I mean, he's got like a million planes, a million houses. He could go wherever he wants. He doesn't have to do this and be talked down to by people when he's trying. He's trying his best. His best may not be what you think he can do. But again, he doesn't have to. I didn't have to do this either. President Trump didn't have to run either. You don't have to do it either. If you're fine with everything going tits up, fair enough. Then you don't have to do it either. You need to check yourself. That's how you do it. On that note, guys, um, I wanted to say I've been trying to work on my um, documentary and I'm hoping that I can give more to the production team by tomorrow so that way it could be fine-tuned. So tomorrow all morning and until my show, I'll be working on it as I'm trying to work with software that helps them um, and uh, move it along so we can have it for Boxing Day. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to show it to you guys, and um, there will be a lot more of that. That should be quite eye-opening for you. On that note, I, I want to wish you guys a fantastic evening. Um, I have a lot to do. <laughs> um, you know, I'm trying to settle in my kids and um, get things sorted. Uh, God bless you. And, and don't forget, just follow your gut. Follow your gut. Don't stay in an echo chamber. Listen to what they're saying, what, what the news are telling you. Listen to them. Because if you don't listen to them when they tell you everything you need to know, you'll miss a beat. Kind of like you missed the whole cryptocurrency part. God bless everyone. Good night.
the day you waking up now, well, baby, you hella late. Educate, look at what's going on, let it resonate, accelerate. Find your inner hunger like you never ate. Agenda is to push the hate. Separate and segregate. Don't celebrate quite yet. The storm is coming. Cue for heaven's sake. Violence that they demonstrate. Instigate and penetrate. The values of our country and our God is what they desecrate. My fighters ain't no featherweight. Pulling out the seams of the fabric that they fabricate. They feed us lies, manipulate. Intimidate through fear and force. Forcing us to sit and wait. Till we come together, congregate, and then we liberate. Praying that you give me strength to find some love amongst the hate. Marching on these streets of blood. Till I see the golden gates. Troubadour and troubled souls. One of God's servants. Blades out, cut the grass till we see the serpent. Oh, one day, I hope you see the truth. This puppet show stays on because of you fools. We've been dancing with the devil way too long. I know it's fun, but get ready to pay your dues. Oh, God, come back home. This crazy world is filled with lies and abusers. I know the truth is hard to swallow, just digest it. Suspected something's going on, but chose to just neglect it. Deflected by some breaking news, all we just accepted. Expected just to fall in line and follow their perspective. Don't question their objective, but I got a lot of questions. How these kids molested, but nobody's been arrested. Read it in the testament, these children are protected So I'm fighting all these terrorists, both foreign and domestic Refuse to be directed, lying, not a sheep Only kneel to my God, so I'm dying on my feet uh, Silence when we speak, but there's violence in the street I've been rolling with the punches, I can't take it on the cheap uh, Drink from a glass half full, I'm optimistic People are sadistic, so vicious and malicious Praying for assistance to overcome my position Or I'm gonna start resisting and then I pray for forgiveness oh, Oh, God, come back home. This crazy world is filled with lies and a 
they finally see the truth. God, we need you now.